the best place to buy tires? Where's the best repair shop for my hybrid? Questions about your car? Drive into Dobbs. With more than 40 locations, our team of technicians will get the job done right the first time. For deals you can use, click on gotodobbs.com now. For over two decades, E&B Granite has been St. Louis's trusted name for kitchen, bathroom, and outdoor space renovations that are guaranteed to bring new life into your living spaces. Their skilled team will provide you with personalized customer service, fast turnaround times, and prices you won't find with big box stores. Support local and schedule free consultation at enbgranite.com or call them at 314-645-9300 or better yet, stop by the showroom and explore their massive inventory. Again, that's enbgranite.com. With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band. Next up for lead guitar. You're in. Cool. (laughs) Yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. So I switched to Boost Mobile and got this free Samsung Galaxy A23 5G phone. Why do you think they call it the Galaxy? Maybe because the Samsung Galaxy A23 has a huge screen. And galaxies are huge gravitationally bound systems of stars rotating around a supermassive black hole. And the phone is free? When you switch to Boost Mobile. Cool. You lost me at gravitationally bound. Switch to Boost and get a free Samsung Galaxy A23 5G phone. Boost Mobile. Unleash your power. Limited time offer while supplies last. New customers only. Excludes tax. One device offer per line. Only available on certain networks. 5G not available everywhere. Additional restrictions apply. See your local Boost Mobile store for details. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Grabbed it, shot it, saved. Comes back to Kairou. He scores! Jordan Kairou, top of the circle. Gets the puck from Letty and buries it. one nothing St. Louis. In behind the net, tapped it over to Thomas. Thomas shoots, he scores! They were looking pass, and he shot it inside the far post. What a great shot by Robert Thomas. Tarasenko to Kairou, he scores! Jordan Kairou! Under the bar on the blocker's side, a power play goal, and it's 4-1 to St. Louis. Down to Thomas, they shoot, they score! Jordan Cairo. if you've got a hat, chuck it at your radio. He gets the hat trick in the National Hockey League, and he's put the Blues on top by a score of 5-1. to how about that? The Blues are back, ladies and gentlemen. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. They have won four straight. They have scored a point in five straight. And Alex, we said this is a definitive road trip for the St. Louis Blues. They needed to get at least three regulation wins or three wins overall. They could lose maybe one in overtime, get a point there, and they could lose one other game. Well, you've started 3-0 and 0. Get another point out of these next two, Seattle and Vegas. You were right where we said that they needed to be for us to buy back into the St. Louis Blues. Hold on. If they don't get a point in these next two, are you going to be out, out on this team? You're Completely done. Out. You're like, no, no, sir. Mm-mm. You did nothing. That's right. I'm with them. There's a Brandon threshold here. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, we're giving out coals for Christmas if they don't end up getting us something good over the next few days. Did you ever get snowman poop for Christmas? What? You ever get the snowman poop? What the hell are you talking about? You guys never got those? No. You got those. Ryder's not listening, but you guys got those. It's the marshmallows. And the snowman poop. Okay, fine. 
act like you've never had good Christmases before. So the St. Louis Blues, they didn't give us snowman poop or coals last night. They gave us a nice victory wrapped up, and we opened it up prior to Christmas. And, Alex, the two guys that have really taken their game to the next level is Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas. That combination is leading the way for the Blues right now. Jordan Cairo this year in wins. Nine goals, ten assists. He's a plus six. Thomas in wins, four goals, 13 assists, and a plus 11. In losses for those two, they're a combined negative 36. With, the Blues go oof. as they go. Here is Craig Berube after the game last night speaking specifically about the man that got his first ever hat trick, Jordan Cairo. Well, I mean, I think he's been playing real good hockey for some time. I mean, the goals were going to come eventually. You know, he's too good of a player, so now he's capitalizing on them. But, you know, his work ethic's been there for the whole year, in my opinion. We're the uh, the naysayers of Jordan Cairo these days, huh? Remember the people BK that were telling us, you guys, you guys acting like Cairo is going to be fine. They should get rid of him because he's terrible. You remember those people? Nope, don't remember doing a show with any of them. Looking at you two. Oh, I don't. Some of that. us were over here on Jordan Cairo Island. Some of us say he's going to be greater than Vladdy in his Some prime. of us a calendar year ago. Some of Still us counts. said that when Cairo plays more responsibly in his own zone. He'll be the player that we need him to and be. Some of us said he's always going to be a bit of a liability defensively, ah, but he's going to make up for it with what he does offensively. And that's guess what? Energy, but he bro. hasn't been a liability he in has these been last at games, times, and that's okay, guys. No, he it's hasn't. All right. It's all right. Are we going to argue about this right now? He, he has been, been a below-average defender this year, and again, that's okay. He's made some plays. That's all you need from him. Just show the effort. Skate around. Do your thing. Be a part of the team game. And guess what? That's what he's doing right now, and he's connecting with his shot. His shot looks excellent. He's been a threat on the power play. That goal last night was amazing. That first one, the sniper that he had, he's playing a really good all-around game for what you expect out of Jordan Kyra. I'm not trying to fight with you, Alex. You are. I like the way that Jordan Kyra is playing right now. I just think that this is the player that he is expected to be. Was he worse than this early in the season? 100%. He was going through a slump offensively and defensively. It was even worse than I expected it to be. But he's turned that around, and now he's looking like the player that they paid him to be. Don't appreciate you fight with me on the holidays, but you're right. Jordan Cairo, he's playing confidently. And the same can be said about Robert Thomas. I mean, he's got 10 shots in his last three games, and he's picked up goals in all of them. So Robert Thomas is playing more confidently. But Jordan Cairo is just a man on a mission. Like last night on the broadcast, Curb said it, and Darren Pang said it also. He could have had five or six goals in that game because he was getting scoring opportunities. He's getting those opportunities because he's using his legs. And he's also getting those opportunities because he knows that if he makes mistakes, he's not going to be glued to the bench for the entire game. You make mistakes, you're going back out there the next shift. And what I loved about the way that Craig Berube used them last night was every moment that, and I believe it was the Dakota Joshua line, that was playing with um, JT Miller, if I'm not mistaken. Every time they stepped on the ice, Kyrou was on the ice. And Craig Berube went speed for size because that line likes to play a little bit more physical with Dakota Joshua, and I believe they have um, uh, Nils Hollander on there. But they, they're they getting the matchups even on the road right now, and Jordan Kyrou is able to exploit that with his speed. So when he's playing confidently, The team plays confidently, and I just think you're getting the best of Jordan Kyrou right now, and it's no coincidence that that line of Kyrou, Thomas, and Barbashev have been on the positive side of offense for four straight games.
Cairo and Thomas are the Blues version of Goldie and Arnato, to where this team is going to go as far as they will take them or they are going to sink with them. And that's what you've seen this year. I mean, you read off the numbers and losses. They're the negative, uh, what was it, 36? Mm-hmm. Like, they, when they're not playing well, the Blues struggle offensively at 5-on-5. Five five. When I was going through some of those numbers last night, it was amazing to look at those losses, and it's one goal, one goal, one goal, two goals, one goal, two goals. Like, the 5-on-5 five five scoring's just not there. When these guys are playing their game, then the Blues 5-on-5 are fine. And when they kind of, as they've done in this stretch where the defense is playing well, they're going to be able to win a lot of games without special teams or with special teams. It doesn't matter. But Kyrou and Thomas, to me, watching that game last night made me come to the epiphany that they are. You had a BK epiphany? I did, kind of, yeah. Uh, That they are the Blues version of Goldie and Arnato to where when it comes to if they get to the playoffs, the Blues will go as far as Kyrou and Thomas can take them. If a team's able to shut them down on any given night or in a playoff series, the Blues just are, are going to struggle, and it's going to be a tough ride for them the remainder of this season and beyond, probably. The the I, If I can just lump Pavel Buchnevich into this, because you sent the stat last night to us, BK, in the last 20 games, those three have combined for 70 points, and that is your core. It's a great point by T-Bone and Goldie and Arenado with the comps to Kyrou and Thomas. But you throw Buchnevich in that because that's your top three moving forward. In the last 20 games, they've posted the fourth best numbers as a trio. They're behind McDavid, Dreisaitl, and Nugent Hopkins, who has 85. Thompson, Tuck, and Skinner from Buffalo with 84. And Connor Dubois and Morrissey from the Winnipeg Jets at 73. But that means Thomas, Buchnevich, and Cairo have been better than Dallas's top three, Minnesota's top three, Tampa's top three, Toronto's top three, and Pittsburgh's top three. You're... We said this during the offseason. The Blues have changed the way that they're building their roster. They are now constructed like the Avalanche, like the Capitals, like the uh, best teams that we have seen that are built around superstars, the Edmonton Oilers, like whoever you want to throw in there, Toronto. The teams that are building around superstars, that's what the Blues are now doing. They believe that Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo will be their superstars. And Pavel Buchnevich has, over the past year since he's been in St. Louis, added his name into that mix. He's also a superstar. I think you can make a really strong argument that all around, Pavel Buchnevich is their best player right now. And then you add in Cairo and Thomas. And when you have those three guys, when they're clicking... A lot of stuff starts heading in the right direction. Now, some of this is about their defense. We'll get to that here in a little bit. Some of it is about what Jordan Bennington has done. Again, we'll get to that. Special teams have come around. We'll get to that as well. There's a million different things that had to turn around for this thing to start heading in the right direction. But the number one thing, the prerequisite for any of it, Kairu and Thomas are playing like the superstars that they were paid to be. Yeah. They're paid eight plus million dollars for the next eight years for a reason. And it's because right now, Jordan Kairu, you look at where he ranks among NHL scores over the last basically calendar month, five weeks. He's in the top five in the NHL in points since November 10th. In that stretch, 20 games, he has 13 goals and 15 assists. The only guys in the NHL that have more points than Jordan Kairu in that stretch. There's two of them. Connor McDavid, Tage Thompson, end of list. The guys that he is tied with right now, Leon Dreisaitl, Jason Robertson. The company that he is keeping is the best of the best in the NHL right now. If the Blues are going to be able to do anything meaningful that year, or this year rather, he's got to stick with that group. That's where he needs to be. And I was thinking of this because Tage Thompson, of course, was all over social media last night with another goal. And as great as Tage Thompson has been, I mean, Jordan Cairo is providing you the same 
contributions that Tage Thompson is. It's just Tage Thompson's more of a goal scorer, and Jordan Cairo is that all-around player that can pass the puck just as well as he can shoot it. One's a playmaker, one's a goal scorer. Absolutely. But Cairo and Thomas don't have the success if not for the leadership. And if you guys don't mind me uh, jumping up on a uh, a pedestal real quick to, to speak of some of the go leadership. Ahead. Brandon did it earlier. Yeah, that's true, Brandon. I'll go ahead and shoot it down here in just a second, if you allow me. you're going to shoot it down. Jordan Bennington. Since the article that was posted by Jeremy Rutherford, and you don't like Jordan Bennington, BK, you don't like Loved his what antics. what he did last night at the end of the game. Yeah, of course, now you like what he does. But Jordan Bennington makes the comments to Jeremy Rutherford uh, about, you know, being benched and the team struggles. And he basically says, like, this is the NHL. Let's blank and go. We can't be wasting this much time to not find our game. Since then, this team is 4-0-1. And since the Pittsburgh Penguins antics that people want to talk about where he explained and elaborated that I'm not trying to do anything other than get in the way and people took that the wrong way. They're five, two, and one. I know you guys don't there's think... a lot there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes yeah. behind the mic. The antics was in air quotes from Ferrario and BK. That's because the BK doesn't believe their antics, but it's what? not just me. Can I give you the Craig Berube and Doug Armstrong we comments heard Craig on this? Berube's comments on this. The Blues Brass, this is according to ESPN.com. There was an article that was posted earlier today from Emily Kaplan, who did some good reporting on this. She said the Blues Brass did not shy away from answering questions about Jordan Bennington, who was making more noise for his antics rather than his play. Baruby said it was a case of the goalie channeling his frustration by trying to do too much. He was trying to solve all of the team's problems on his own, and it allowed him to lose his mental focus along the way. Baruby gave Bennington a few days off and told him to focus exclusively on his position. Quote, it's hard because he's a highly competitive guy and you talk about the frustration nobody is more frustrated than Jordan Bennington in that room not a single player that's uh, Craig Bruby's comments then Doug Armstrong gave this quote to ESPN.com quote that's a bad look for our goaltender to do that those antics may have had an effect early it doesn't have any effect anymore I think it's run its course for Jordan Bennington that's fine and I'm I, if that's how the front office feels, but I'm going off of the way that the team responds when Bennington does that kind of th- stuff. And he makes his comments 4-0-1 since then. They found their game. But since that Pittsburgh Penguins game, they're 5-2-1. and And I know people don't like it, and it's a different situation, but go back and watch that game where Jacob Truva lost his mind with the Rangers and chucked his helmet at the, 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 uh, the glass when he was exiting the ice and kind of yelled at his team. They've been unstoppable since then. Sometimes leadership comes in different forms, and I think Jordan Bennington was doing it in his own way, and I think the team has responded to it. I think the team has responded to Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas playing better, the defense being better, the goalies playing their game and not having those random antics on the ice any longer, them having fewer penalties and killing them off whenever they do take those penalties, the power play being a little bit better, and them finding combinations offensively that work with their lines. I don't think it's because of what Jordan Bennington had to say. I think the entire team understood where they're at right now. I think the entire team understood that if they didn't get things going, Armstrong was ready to start making moves. And so whether it was Jordan Bennington saying it, Doug Armstrong saying something, Ryan O'Reilly saying something, I heard earlier today Darren Pang told the morning show that Braden Shin has taken Jordan Cairo under his wing and he really got him going. Whatever you believe the reason, Ryan O'Reilly deserves all, whoever, I don't care who we give the praise to. It turned around for 10, 12, 15, 20 different reasons. If you want to throw Bennington's antics into that mix, that's fine. I'm not going to because I don't think that's what did it, especially when I see all of these comments coming from the front office, from the coaching staff, from seemingly everybody involved on the inside or the outside, suggesting, yeah, that's not 
something that we need to see from Jordan Bennington any longer. Well, um, but trying to expand your mind a little bit, though. Don't just take words. Whatever the reason, it's turned around, and really, that's what matters for the St. Louis Blues. Would you start Bennington, Bennington again tonight? I would, but I don't think they will. It's going to be the same situation as um, the Calgary-Edmonton game, and I know this one didn't go into extras and play overtime in a shootout like Bennington did, but he did have a significant workload, saw 34 shots on goal, and they had to, to travel to Seattle via bus. So I don't think they'll start him, but if it was me, I'd ride that train as much as I could because Jordan Bennington has been one of the best players on the ice for this team in this stretch. I'd give it to him. See, I, I would go to Grice. I would understand both, but I would go back to Grice just because. Grice had a good game I think, against I, Calgary. I, I think the other part of this turnaround, too, is that, and I know Bennington didn't like it, but Bennington had that reset, and he got some time off. I mean, we at one point he had started, what was it, 16 of 19 games, something mm-hmm. like that. So I Start do think him some the next fatigue. 16 or 19. Uh, well, There's your guy. Well, well, I'll put him t- in the net. I'll tell you the one change that I'm making tonight, Logan Brown in the lineup. Okay. Well, his flight didn't get into Vancouver on time. Yeah. Otherwise, he'd have been playing last night and you probably know, would have scored two. You know what that sounds like? An excuse not to have him in the lineup. Oh, yeah. They because a plane one. not landing in Vancouver yeah, is an excuse. No. They, didn't, they didn't need him in the lineups. The Blues are back in action tonight, <sighs> hopefully with Bennington in net. And he deserves it. He it after last night with those antics that he had at the end of the game. His oh, leadership, they're going to lead him right back onto the ice. Pre-game coverage with Alex Ferrario starting at 8 o'clock. Blues versus the Kraken in Seattle begins at 9. Coming up at about 15 minutes or so, Jack Flaherty is once again the single most pivotal player on the Cardinals this upcoming season. What if I told you right now? You could lock in 170 innings and a sub three ERA for Jack Flaherty. What does that do for your expectations for the Cardinals? Get your answers on that in on the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780 or on the mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app. We'll play some of those for you coming up at 1130. But next, the biggest change for the Blues in the recent games, it's not Jordan Bennington's antics. It's them figuring out a way to suppress the goals. We'll tell you how next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. To me, it's always about team defending first. I mean, uh, goals, goal scorers find a way to score goals. Playmakers find a way to make plays. But if you don't know how to defend or you're not willing to defend, well, you're not going to win in this league. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. That was Darren Pang earlier today on the morning show. Alex, I think he makes the important point here. We talked a lot in the opening segment about Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas and how much they have factored into this turnaround for the Blues. It's not just them. It's also the rest of the team and how they've been suppressing goals. And I say suppressing goals because it's not just about the defensemen. It's not just about the forwards. It's not just about the goalie. It's all of them getting involved in this. Jordan Bennington has upped his game. Thomas Grice, when given opportunities, has played well. I thought Nick Letty last night, that was probably the best game that we've seen from him, like literally since he's been in a Blues uniform. And Colton Pareko has upped his game a little bit recently, and then the forechecking has been better for the Blues as well. You add all that up, you see what they've been able to do in the recent games. Alex, during this stretch where they've had points, they allowed at five-on-five. One goal to the Colorado Avalanche, zero against the Predators at five on five. All these are the five on five numbers. One goal against the Oilers, two against the Flames and one against the Canucks. That's what they were missing. This is the team that we watched last year. Now you look at some of the underlying numbers 
it does again look kind of like it did last year where it's like, man, the Corsi ratings are in favor of the opposition. Some of the scoring chances are in favor of the opposition, but the high danger chances are mostly pretty close and the blues are outperforming their expectations again. Welcome back, St. Louis Blues. This is what it's supposed to look like when you're playing at your best. Well, and like just to break down those even strength goals, like the one that the Edmonton Oilers scored, that was a body in front of the net with a deflection. The Calgary Flames, the first one they scored, a puck that went off of the stomach of a player in front of the net and bounces in. And then the goal that was scored last night at even strength, that was a turnover by Ivan Barbashev in the neutral zone. They're not giving up even strength goals where the opposition is... Uh, is cycling the puck and creating offensive zone time consistently. It's coming off of bounces that they just have no opportunity to stop, or it's coming off of a turnover. So even strength has been really tightening up. And I, I agree. Nick Letty played his best game last night that we have seen. Used his legs, didn't try and pass the puck out of the zone. He skated it out of the zone, and he created offense. Colton Pareko has not been on the ice for a goal against in four straight games. Those are your top shutdown defensemen. And look back through the games that those guys were paired up against. Bo Horvat, who's got 22 goals on the season, did not get a goal last night for the Vancouver Canucks. Calgary's top line of Lindholm, Toffoli, and Dubé didn't get a goal or a point in that game. Edmonton, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl only scored on the power play. The Nashville Predators, the top line of Forsberg and Johansson and Duchesne did not get a point. The only player that beat you in the Colorado Avalanche game was Miko Rantanen. So your defense is eliminating the other team's top lines. That's the only thing that you can ask for right now. And me personally, the reason I feel like it's working is because it's it's a five-man unit on the ice. You're not seeing two guys skate around in the neutral zone waiting for the puck to get to them. It's five guys going back to acquire the puck in their own zone, and then they're skating it out of their own zone rather than just trying to pass their way out of danger. I see. I, I agree with that. I, I think it is that you've seen more of a five-man unit in the defensive zone. I can't tell you how many times in the last handful of games I feel like I've been able to say, oh, hey, someone came in on the back check and made a nice play. And the other part of it, too, is the turnovers, whether it is they are skating it out more or they're just not turning the puck over as much. But to your point on teams aren't cycling around as much, I think that leads to less high-danger opportunities, which is what the Blues had been struggling with early on in the season because once that puck starts to cycle after a turnover, things kind of get a little haywire in your own zone, and they've kind of gotten rid of that by not turning the puck over. So when I when I look at the defense, I think the turnaround has come in really three different phases. One, I think they're they're uh it's a five man unit now and you're seeing some back checking. Two, you're not turning the puck over as much. And three, I think they're clearing the front of the net a lot better during the streak as Absolutely. well. We haven't seen as many backdoor feeds that have beaten the Blues defense. I think they've done a better job of recognizing those, stopping them, and also keeping guys uh keeping guys out of Bennington or Grice's eyes because I think that they've done a nice job boxing out. It goes back to I think it was the Nashville game where you took saw Mikola take that penalty and went yeah, you know, I don't mind that. Mikola's sure he's being aggressive. He's clearing the front of the net. Last night they did it too. Where there was a couple of scenarios where they were being real physical in front of their goaltender. I, I think that's a part of this turnaround for the defense as well. Yeah, it it's everything. Like n- not any one thing has led to this, and the result is in the last seven games you're five one and one overall. You've outscored your opponents sixteen to ten at even strength. Your special teams have improved a lot, and. It's, it looks like the team that I remember watching a year ago. It's it's baffling, man. I, I don't know why it took so long to get here. I don't understand why for such an extended period of time, both early in the season when they went through that eight-game losing streak and then later on when they ended up having all of those losses in a row in Buffalo and Tampa and then again in this stretch, 
I don't get why it took so long to get here. But whatever the explanation, now we're here. Now the tough part is going to be sustaining it. Because it's one thing to do this. We've seen them do this before. To start out the year, man, how great was that at Edmonton? That performance, you said all year, best all-around performance that we've seen from the Blues. That third game of the season when they won 2-0 at Edmonton. And then we saw what they did in Vegas, in Colorado. They ended up coming back home against the poor opponents. They were able to extend that streak there. They've done this before where they get a short spurt. Where it's like the shotgun season, right? Where you you have these bursts of energy and then it goes away. And then a burst of energy again and then it goes away. They've got to be able to continue this throughout the course of January. And they've got to be able to like hold this momentum for longer. That has been the thing that this team has yet to do. They've shown us this before. Sustaining it. Doing it again and again every single night, that consistency, that's what has been a problem for them. You know, I asked Mike McKenna this last night because he was with me on pregame, and I said, like, look, the coach has been preaching this all season long, and they've seen it successful, but yet they don't play it the whole time. And he said, from a player's perspective, the easiest answer I can give you is this is a tough way to play hockey. Because other teams don't play the way that Craig Berube wants the teams to play. But Craig Berube's not demanding like John Tortorella is. Like Craig Berube's like, this is how you got to play. And if you don't want to play it, fine, you're going to lose. Rather than saying, if you don't play this way, you're sitting on the bench. So I just sometimes, it because we always do this. Last season, we had the moment where we were like, why is this team not playing the way that they need to? We see what it looks like. And then all of a sudden, they click and they're all ready to play it. It's a tough brand to play, but when they play it, the Blues have a five-man unit style that is very difficult to compete against because it's layers. You've got your goaltender that cleans up the mistakes that your team makes, like last night where certain situations, he's got to make the big save for you. Your defense, when they play the way that they're supposed to in terms of skating the puck out of the zone, using their legs, the way that Doug Armstrong built the defense to play. What you saw from Nick Letty, where he's shooting it on net, getting his own rebound, and then uh, passing into the slot. like That's what Nick Letty is here to do. And And hitting more of that. Hitting the net. That's the key, because when your defense pinches like that, if you don't hit the net... You're on no man's land because it's a rush up the ice and your forwards got to play defense. We saw Falk do a couple of or a couple of different times. We saw that from him last night where he's pinching and then he ends up getting it to the forward, reverts back to his spot. Like there, it all starts to come together when you've got everything working, but you got to be able to trust those guys around you. And I don't think for a lot of the time this year they have trusted the players around them. Coming up in about 15 minutes, questions and answers. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. If you guys have any questions, we'll get to those coming up at eleven forty five. But next, if I could guarantee you right now, Jack Flaherty in this upcoming season throws at least one hundred and seventy innings. And he's going to have a sub three ERA. In other words, he is for the Cardinals what Carlos Rodon was for the Giants last year. What are you expecting the Cardinals record to be in 2023? We'll give you our answers to that. Hear from you on the mic drop feature coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Hard to say what his future as a Cardinal is, um, but I would say I'm very excited about where he is. You know, as you can imagine, it hasn't gone as planned over the last few years, but what we saw in 19 was super exciting. And if we see pieces of that again, I think that's exactly what this rotation needs. So there's a little bit of hope in that answer, but um, certainly excited about how his offseason's going 
and what he's capable of doing in 2023. That was John on KSDK with Frank Husamano. If you missed any of their interview, I'd, I would recommend checking that out. You can find it on YouTube, or I tweeted it out at BK Sports Talk as well. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was how John Mozeliak would uh, responded when he was asked, what do you expect Jack Flaherty's future to look like here in St. Louis? And he essentially said, I don't know. I, I don't know what his future is going to look like here in St. Louis. And I think that's an honest and open answer from Mo. I do think, however, there is no player that has a bigger swing on what the projections will look like for the Cardinals than Jack Flaherty going into the season. Because I'm not sure that there's any player that has a wider range of outcomes on the St. Louis Cardinals going into 2023 than Jack Flaherty. Would it surprise anybody in this room if Jack finishes this upcoming season with fewer than 80 innings pitched in a 4-3 ERA? Feels possible, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Would it surprise you if he finishes the year with 170 innings in a sub-3 ERA? Nope. That's what Jack Flaherty's range of outcomes looks like for this upcoming season. He could be a legit number one. He could be a guy that ends up getting hurt again and doesn't even really pitch like a number five. It is just completely untrustworthy. So I wanted to ask you guys this. I will be interested to hear what the audience thinks about it as well. At 65780, that's the Air Comfort Service text line. What if I guaranteed you right now those former or those latter numbers? 170 or more innings, sub-3 ERA. He essentially is for you what Carlos Rodon was last year for the San Francisco Giants. How does that change, Alex, your outlook for the 2023 Cardinals, if at all? It puts you in the same conversation as these other contenders because the one thing we've all said that they're lacking is an ace. That's ace-quality stuff. So, yeah, if that's what you're giving me, I'll take that because I don't know if Jack Flaherty can be better than that and I'm a little concerned that he could be worse than that. So, oh, I'm not saying like, would you lock it in? Of course, everybody should lock that in because right. you're you're getting a number one. How much does it change your projection for it, the team in 2020? I mean, it, it puts you in it puts you in the you're the same as in my opinion as San Diego, Atlanta, and Philly. You're in the same conversation as those teams. If your offense clicks, which that's a big if, but you've got your ace and your staff. I think is as deep as the best teams in the National League. But if you don't get that, then I think we're going into the season the same way we usually do. Yeah, you could get a wild card spot and maybe do some damage. I, I think if you have the healthy Jack Flair and he puts up those kind of numbers, I can see a route for this team to get to a World Series. That That's how much I think Jack Flaherty changes the tra- trajectory of the St. Louis Cardinals when you look at them. Because without a healthy Jack Flaherty, I think the rotation's still good enough to win them a playoff series. But it comes down to the same conversation we had about the team last year. Could you go on a run to a World Series with Jose Quintana being your number one? You could, but I I don't think, I'm not sure how likely it was. I think they could have gotten to the NLCS, but I think once you get to the seven-game series, that's where they would have fallen short. And I think it's the same conversation this year. If Jack Flaherty's not healthy, can they get to the NLCS? Yeah, because I think their pitching is good enough. I think the offense is going to be better than it was last year. So I can see a route to the NLCS, but can they win the NLCS without having a legit number one? I don't think so. So, when I look at if you're giving me those numbers, 170 innings, and he has a sub three ERA and he's healthy going into the postseason, I think he's a guy that can propel you past an LCS and get you to a World Series and give you a fighting chance to win the World Series. That's how much I think Jack Flaherty is going to be a dictator of this upcoming season for the St. Louis Cardinals between his health and what he looks like. I'm in total agreement with both of you. I think right now, as currently constructed, I would probably peg the Cardinals for somewhere between 93 and 95 wins. I think that's right around the range that I would have them. And where that fits into the National League, I I think there are six contenders in the NL right now, like true legitimate contenders. Atlanta, New York, San Diego, Philly, St. Louis, and the Dodgers. I think those are the six for me. 
And among those six, I think there's three different tiers. I think Atlanta and New York are clearly the top two teams in the National League, at least in my opinion. I think San Diego is in a tier of its own, tier two in the NL. I think they have really good front-end starting pitching, and their stars are probably better, honestly, than just about any other stars trio in the National League. And I think tier three is the Padre, or excuse me, the uh, the Phillies, the Cardinals, and the Dodgers. Those three teams for me would be in the third tier in the National League. If you get this year 170 innings, sub three ERA out of Jack Flaherty, I think they go up in that tier with the San Diego Padres. I'm still not sure I would have them with the Braves or the Mets. I think those teams are a little deeper. I think their rotations are a little more trustworthy. I think all around, they're just slightly better teams right now. That doesn't always win in the playoffs, though. I think last year, the Braves, to me, were the best team in the National League. Didn't matter. They didn't go to the World Series. So if you end up in that tier with the Padres and you have a legit number one in Jack Flaherty by the time that the season comes to an end, yeah, I think you can absolutely win a World Series with that group of pitchers if we just assume all of the reasonable prognostications for everybody else around him. I've already said that I'm confident in this rotation, but if this is the Jack Flaherty you get, I would put them in with the Atlanta Braves because injury risk is always there, but like you saw what the best scenario is with Miles Michaelis last season. You did get the best out of Jordan Montgomery, and now you get a full season with him. And the other two, Steven Matz is an unknown, but if healthy, he was a a, a very solid four in a rotation. And Wayno as a fifth is, is, I think, an advantage because he pitches better than a fifth. And then you talk about the, the depth that you have with it. So, yeah, I mean, the name recognition and how well they've pitched for Atlanta. But, man, if this is the Jack Flaherty you get, I'd put them up there with any rotation in the National League. Hey, Alex, can you read the text from the 618, uh, the Cardinals are nowhere for me? Do you have the text line? I don't have the text line okay. up. Let me read it for you over yeah, can here. You, can you read this for me? This oh, you, one want, right you want this in my accent? Please, yeah. All right, hold on. <clears throat> the Cardinals are nowhere near the Dodgers or Phillies, you morons. All right, thank you. I You're appreciate welcome. that. That was that was no. Good thank work you by for you. the texture. I appreciate the voice to text. That one came from the six one eight, sir. How many exclamation points did they have? Um, Actually, none. None in the, none. How in do here. you go all Just caps and not no use cap. exclamation points? No exclamation points. That's surprising. So fan graphs, morons. Not not my work. Fan graphs work. You can yell at them. Throw all of your They're morons too. Your exclamation marks at them. They put out their projections for the 2023 wins based on the way the teams are currently constructed. There's more free agents out there. These could change a little bit, but the best free agents are off the board. Biggest trades probably done at this point. It's kind of what you expect them to be. The best team in the National League, according to Fangraphs right now, the Atlanta Braves. The next best team in the National League right now, the New York Mets. Then you've got the Padres. Guess who comes next, boys? The, the Dodgers. Dodgers. The St. Louis Cardinals. Oh. But the Cardinals are nowhere near the Dodgers, you morons. The Dodgers and the Phillies are, according to these projections, behind the Cardinals. Now, that could be wrong. Probably is going to be wrong. It's tough to predict baseball. No, man, projections are spot on 100% of the time. Every year, I make it an annual tradition of laughing at, what is it, the... The Pakoda? Pakoda projections. Every year, I laugh at them because they they say that the Cardinals are going to win 82 games, and that hasn't happened in, like... 15 years. So the chances of that being right feel pretty wrong. If you, that's what your formula spits out, change your formula. It's going to be wrong more often than not. But these projections feel about right to me. So can the Cardinals be better this year than both the Phillies or the Dodgers? Yeah. Yeah, they absolutely can. And if Jack Flaherty ends up finishing with 170 or more innings and a sub three ERA, I would pick them to be better than both of those teams. The tough part is, 
I don't know what the hell to expect out of Jack Flaherty this year. You know why? Because the president of baseball operations doesn't even know what to expect out of Jack. Well, rightfully so. These last couple of seasons have been the roller coaster we all needed. Can we hear one more time from John Mosaloc about the Cardinals rotation? Why are you asking we got time me, for this? You're the fearless leader, not us. This comes from KSDK. Right now, we do feel like we have six starters for five spots. If you okay. add another starter that to that, then you have seven. True. And then you also have some guys that are going to be competing for starting inning spots. Verhagen, possibly Palante, possibly Thompson. Why'd you stop it, T-Bone? No, He's I got more no, depth. No, he quit. No, Matthew Libertor. No. So? Who? Libertor. A libertore. No. Mo said, we got six starters right now. I think we know who those guys are. Say it with me, everybody. Well, we'll start with Dakota Hudson. Sing it. Flaherty, Michaelis, Montgomery, Matt Swainwright. Hudson. There you go. There's your six. It's a new song. <laughs> that was painful. It's dropping, <laughs> <laughs> it's dropping a mixtape tomorrow. Get ready wicker, for wicker, it. Wicker. Drew Verhagen is another guy that he mentioned. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. That's who he started with? He did. He did. That was his seventh. Wow. <laughs> Andre, Andre Pallante. He's not going in the song. And Zach Thompson. Guys, did you hear him mention Matthew Liberator, the guy that, as of last year, this time was like the top pitching prospect in the organization? Well, no, Tanner, cut the audio. Tanner, play the end of it and play no, it all no, the way he through. He doesn't need so to. Hear you, it. That was it. That was the end. I can confirm that he didn't mention Matthew Liberator. He was asked later on in the interview, specifically about Graceffo, McGreevy, and Tink Hentz, and he was very excited about all three. There was no question about Matthew Liberator in this interview. There was no answer about Matthew Liberator in this interview. Does that mean Matthew Libertor isn't really in their plans for 2023, guys? At least not the plans that are, like, the sounds, optimal strategy for 2023? Sounds like he's in the plans of 2023 to be the ace for AAA Memphis. He struggled to do that last year. I mean, Connor Thomas was better than him. Yeah, he was. Didn't hear Connor Thomas's name. Yeah, what the hell, Mo? He'll be in the bullpen. He's better than that. Okay. <laughs> they don't have a lot of pitchers right now. Did you hear him say Drew Verhagen? Yeah. I, I just found it to be interesting that Matthew Libertor wasn't even seemingly a thought. In that conversation. I mean, he shouldn't be after the season that he, he struggled. I mean, he was a bullpen pitcher last season for the Cardinals, or they used him when it was double headers and you needed another arm, or they used him when it was a game where you just had nothing. You're like, we just need to get through this. He and served this, the role of like Tyler Lyons last year. No, Tyler That's Lyons kind of what he reminded good. me of. Yeah. Oh, the yeah, same role, though. Yeah. But it was the same role where it was start a double header. Oh, we need a spot start here. Okay. Oh, we just need a length guy in the bullpen. Let's, let's have uh, Matthew Libertor back to like. It felt like the Tyler Lyons role, and as we mentioned, for some reason, like yesterday, Tyler Lyons isn't in baseball longer. And until Libertor can get right-handers out, it's fair for the Cardinals not to have plans for him in the future. So, like, he has something to prove this year. We talk about pressure on guys. You want to talk about minor league guys with pressure? It's all on Matthew Libertor to prove that he can live up to the hype that they traded Randy or Rosarena. And uh, I don't remember who else was in that deal. I think it was Martinez in that deal yeah, to get Matthew Libertor. He's got to get right-handed pitch, right-handed hitters out. Until then, it's okay to think of him as an afterthought, in my opinion. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, have the Blues figured out their special teams? It sure feels that way right now. Is it real, or was that a mirage based on the opponents that they've gone up against, especially last night? We'll talk about that coming up in about 10 minutes or so. But coming up next, questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe? Text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by James Carlton with State Farm. Have drivers under 25 on your insurance? Save hundreds of dollars a year with CarltonInsurance.net. Comfort service text line for questions and answers. Let's start with this one from the 636. Hey, guys, Matt Carpenter just signed with the Padres. What do you think of that deal for San Diego? Tanner, what did you say the terms were on this? He got more money than I was expecting. It's a one year, 12 million or one year, 12 million dollar deal. So he'll make 12 million this year. There's a player option on it. And if he exercises the player option, I think there's some incentives involved. He can make up to 21 million dollars over two years. Damn. So it's a it's a player option. Not a team option. So it's basically a two-year deal. If he stinks this year, he's going to exercise that option. So it's a two-year deal worth $21 million, essentially, for Carpenter if he wants it. Unless he just decides he doesn't want to play anymore and retire. But but you got that money in front of you. Nine million bucks. Yeah, it is a player option that's coming from Ken Rosenthal. Wow. Um, I will say this. I, I would not have done that. I am super happy for Matt Carpenter. I think what's happened for him over the last calendar year is amazing. He was basically told he's done like it's it's not going to work for you he accepted a minor league invite to a team ended up having that opportunity with the rangers was hitting well for them said hey I, i'd like to ask for my release get an opportunity elsewhere got that opportunity with the yankees took every advantage of that opportunity and now made himself 20 million dollars because of it that's a really cool story man so for him i'm super happy would not have done that if i was the padres but we'll see if it ends up working out for him so I'm looking at, I, I mean, I wouldn't have done that deal either. He would have had 14 home runs in San Diego last year. And I'm looking to see what he ended up with with the Yankees. He ended up with 15. So not yeah, a massive drop-off. jokes off. about the short porch, he actually did, like most ballparks, he would have had a lot yeah. of success. So not a massive drop-off. I will be interested to see if he ends up continuing to play like he did last year. Not at the MVP level that he was playing at before he got hurt, but... He kind of tailed off near the end of last year. So I'll be interested to know if he can have some success. I I wouldn't have done the deal, but I do like it for the San Diego Padres. Look for some left-handed pop in your lineup. You can hit him like sixth behind all your big bats that you've got there. I think it's a really good deal for San Diego. I feel like San Diego's got a ton of mouths to defeat and not enough opportunities. Like they got a ton of dudes that like, who, where are they going to play? How are they going to get at bats? Like what's going on here? They got a lot of DHs and corner outfielders. Yeah. Right now. <laughs> like what are we doing here? kinds of guys. Uh, six, five, seven, eight, oh, is your comfort service text line from the three, one, four. Hey guys, here in your discussion in the last segment about Jack Flaherty made me think about who on this team you actually trust and you feel like you know what you're going to get for them i can only come up with five players personally who do you feel like fits into that criteria it's an interesting question on the team or just in the rotation in general who are the cardinals that you feel like you know what you can expect out of them going right. into next season so let's Gold- start with the position goldie players. and arenado wilson Contreras. i think wilson Contreras. Into that category I-, I think tommy edmund like you know what you're going to get every single season from him um I think that's it. I tell me if you guys disagree with this. I kind of think I know what I'm getting out of Juan Yepes. I, I don't. I yet. wouldn't do any of the. Yeah. I wouldn't do any of the kids. Yepes, okay. Donovan, any of them, just because yeah. I want to see it for a second. And I'm not year. doing Carlson. I'm not doing O'Neill. So Agreed. yeah, I think it's four yeah. position guys. And on the pitching side, we'll see. Famous last words with any reliever. Kind of feel like I know what I'm getting out of Giovanni Gallegos and Ryan I Helsley. I agree with. Gallegos. I don't know about. I Hyatt don't Helsley. agree with Helsley just because we've seen him struggle when he's not healthy. It was a. It was a finger though, man. It, it got I'm, I'm not. I'm not talking about this year. I'm talking about oh. years prior. I think Miles Michaelis, if healthy, I know what he's going to be. Jordan Montgomery. I think I know what he's going to be. 
guess you agree with those two. Yeah. I would healthy. agree. I would agree. But that's that's a disclaimer on every pitcher that we have ever seen pitch in the major leagues. Like, yeah. And I would put Adam Wayne, right? Yeah. Because yeah. I'm not putting Steven Matz on there. Matz last season when he was healthy was very inconsistent. And he's been up and down throughout his career. Yeah. So I, I, I agree with that. So it's like six, seven guys. I know Verhagen's not okay, going to be you know, great. And I know what Dakota Hudson's providing you. I, I wasn't going to do it. I think I kind of know what Paul DeYoung is. Oh, well, <laughs> well that was honest. a jerk thing because it's the opposite of what we're talking about. Uh, right six, now. five, seven, eight, oh, is your cover service. Excellent for questions and answers from the three, one, four. Who do you think will be the odd man out in the outfield mix? If or when Jordan Walker gets called up, we're going to talk about this a little bit more later on today. So I don't want to spend too much time on it, but my reaction would be this. It's all going to be determined. And I know this is a bad, bad answer that you guys oh, don't want to hear. He's not going to say it, is he? It, it's going to be determined by who's playing the best at the time. Oh. Like it. Could it be that their best outfield combination is Donovan, Newt Bar, and Walker? Yeah, that could totally be the outfield configuration by mid-June. It shouldn't surprise anybody. Could it also be that they call up Walker and it's Carlson, O'Neal, and Walker? Yeah. I think that's that, what the hope is. That could also end up being the case. I think Newt Bar would be a guy that they would hope to be out there on an everyday basis, but it's just, it's so hard to know without knowing what the statistics look like for those guys. I think it's going to be totally determined by who's who's playing well, yeah. who's hitting. I think, the, I think that their hope is that you get the everyday play out of Carlson, everyday play out of O'Neal, and large Newt Bar is just the best fourth outfielder you can ask for. But yeah, I, I think that's it. I don't know if I... I feel like Brendan Donovan's your second baseman next season. Like, I feel like he is the second baseman, and then Nolan Gorman, they're going to figure out where he fits I in. I think so, too. The only way that I would amend that is if Juan Yepes is hitting really well and Gorman's hitting well and Donovan is still getting on base, I would want all three of those guys in the lineup every day if one of those outfielders isn't hitting, and that's probably where I would put Donovan in that scenario, is I would feel best about Gorman at second, Donovan at in the outfield, as opposed to having Yepes in the field. You got the depth, but I, you have to have him back it up. I was say, I, I think the outfielder that they kind of are hoping for, and, and it's kind of not, it's tough to say this, is that all three guys hit right off the bat that it's O'Neal Carlson and Newpar, and then when Walker's ready to go, what they might try to do is they might try to platoon Carlson and Newt to where Newt's going up against the right-handed pitching because he's got the better numbers than Carlson has had in, in his major league career so far. And then Carlson's the guy that we've talked about. Can he Is he going to become an everyday player? Or is he just a platoon bat? If he becomes a platoon bat and you're platooning him and Newpar in center field and he goes up against the lefties, that might be the best case scenario that they might be looking at. All right, final thing real quick from the 314. Hey, guys, why did you set aside time to hear the listener's opinion when 85% of the segments are just you guys giving your opinions. 85% of the segment? Well, 85% is me. And 15% is you guys. And T-Bone and I just divvy out the 15%. That's right. Um, sometimes I forget I'm supposed to turn my mic. Sometimes I forget I'm even on the show. <laughs> I will be open and honest about this. In the last segment, I called for mic drops, didn't get any. You guys gave me a mic drop, I'll play them. We didn't get one, so we didn't play any mic drops. So that's the answer on that. Oh, great. Now we're going to get mic drops. Say, this is my mic drop. Um, On text, I read the ones that I think are really good. And I go back and forth with a lot of you guys throughout the day on Twitter. I love interacting with our audience. It's one of my favorite things about this job is being able to go back and forth. And I get a lot of the segment ideas that we have based on interactions that I have with you guys, whether it be seeing something that you put on the text line or something that we go back and forth with on Twitter, whatever it might be. That being said... There's a lot of stuff that we have to filter through. And sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not stuff that goes along with that particular segment, whatever it might be. So that's sometimes that's why we do the show the way we that we do. just get called names. 
Well, that's not sometimes. And I'm the fearless leader of the show, and I want to do what I want to do. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're talking to Jeremy Rutherford, Blues Insider for The Athletic. But next, have the Blues figured out their special teams, Alex? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Man open wide in front, shooting it right on Bennington. Huge save, denying Besser, and the Blues clear it out. Hughes one-timer right on Miller and a save. Bennington again down in, looking for the deflection. That's off the skate of Mikola. Comes back to Hughes at the blue line from Besser into some traffic. Shot knocked down. Another stick in the lane by Mikola. Blocked that shot. He's having a heck of a shift. Special teams are really important. Uh, You know, there's... Penalties called quite a bit in this league, so your special teams can win you a game or lose you a game. That's what it sounded like last night right here on 101 ESPN. That voice you heard, of course, is Craig Berube alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. of the Blues figured out their special teams. Alex, it certainly feels that way right now. Went back through and looked at what they've done in the last seven games. On the power play, you're four for 20, which is 20%. That's not what you want. You have gone up against some solid penalty kills in this stretch, but... Your only real success came against the Avs, where they're 21st in, on the PK. The Canucks, last night, you went two for three against them. It's the only game in this stretch where you've had multiple power play goals, and they have the worst penalty kill in the NHL. So we'll get back to that power play here in just a second. The penalty kills where the real change has taken place. You've now killed off 18 of 22 opportunities in your last seven games. That's an 82% kill rate. And the only time where you allowed multiple goals on the penalty kill in this stretch was against the Edmonton Oilers. And listen, nobody was stopping those. They have the best power play unit in the NHL. That's happened to everybody in the league this year. I'm not sure if the power play is quote-unquote fixed. I would say right now it, it's not. It's still a work in progress to say the least. The penalty kill though, Alex, whether it be personnel or scheme, I think both have changed a little bit in this stretch. It sure seems like they figured some things out on that unit. They absolutely have figured things out. And I mean, they've gone from being like the worst and by the worst, by far the worst in the penalty kill to now moving themselves to 70%, which is 29th in the National Hockey League. And like, their 82% in this stretch would be the same as the Winnipeg Jets in their fifth on the season in PK. They figured it out on the penalty kill because the system they're playing is consistent. It's not like a fluke where, oh man, they got lucky there. They're eliminating the opposition in terms of power play time. And, I mean, you did this last night against the seventh-best power play in the National Hockey League, a team that was on a little bit of a streak where they had scored power play goals in four or five straight, I believe. And you didn't – it's not that you killed off those penalties. You really didn't allow very many high-danger scoring chances on those power play for the Vancouver Canucks. So they're aggressive. They're using the right personnel. They're not utilizing everybody. They're playing the same six guys – consistently in Barbashev and Saad and O'Reilly and Buchnevich. Um, And then on top of that, your goaltender's making the saves on the penalty kill, which you guys weren't getting earlier in the season. So penalty kill has figured it out. And like, I'm at the point now where when they go on the penalty kill, I'm not dreading it and thinking, oh God, here's a power play goal. Now I'm pretty confident that every time the penalty kill shows up, Blues are going to kill that one off. Power play is... Still an issue to me. I don't think it's anywhere near fixed, despite them scoring a power play goal last night, or two power play goals last night. The Canucks penalty kill is a disaster. 
an absolute, absolute atrocity the Vancouver's to the sport, honestly. penalty kill is what the Blues penalty kill was in the first two months of the season. It's sitting at a 67% clip right now, which is worse than the National Hockey League. They allowed nothing but time and space. Here's, <laughs> yes. PK, Here's the opposite I, of what you're trying to do. I mean, go look at the power play goal that was scored by Cairo in the third period. I mean, that was like three passes where it's like, nobody's going to defend this guy. And there was nobody in front of the net either. Like, somebody's yeah. got to be able to block that shot. It should have been blocked by three different dudes and Absolutely. none of them somehow got there. Power play play though and I don't know if it's going to get fixed until you get different personnel because you're missing a one-time shot like along that far board it's pretty obvious that when that guy gets the puck he's got to pass it again they've only got one set play Tory Krug taking a one-time shot or getting the pass in the slot it's no longer a one-timer so teams with a above average penalty kill are going to read that and kill that off they've only got 15 shots on their last 12 power plays like they're only shooting once every power play, maybe twice at best. They've got to shoot the puck more. They've got to start taking more and more chances. They've got to think quantity over quality on the power play. But here's the thing. I don't care if the power play gets fixed because I think it's more crucial to have a penalty kill that is dominant. If you go back and look in the last six seasons, teams that won the Stanley Cup in the regular season, not one team was top three. Teams were... In the top 10, you've got to have a top 10 power play, even top half of the NHL. And you're sitting right now at 16th in the National Hockey League, a couple percentage points away from being 12th or 13th. That's fine for me. You get a little bit better in the power play, and you're good. Penalty kill, though, needs to be what it is right now, because if that's the case, This team will have success. I don't think it matters that this power play is top half, bottom half, as long as your penalty kill is successful. Right now you're 16th. You're at 22%. Last year, I think it was the uh, the Avs were at like 24%. Yeah, I think they were like fourth or fifth in the NHL. They finished the year seventh at 24%. Okay. You basically score one of every four times that you go out there on the power play. You're feeling really good about where you're at. That'll get you into the top 10-ish. That's where you want to be power play-wise. Penalty kill, they had to improve. They were a disaster on the PK. You weren't and going the, anywhere if that penalty kill And the only the reason it, it didn't get worse for them is because they just didn't take a whole lot of penalties. I will say the penalties have really started to come over the last five games or so. Three, four, five, three, four when it comes to their uh, penalty kill opportunities. But you know what? They're playing more physical, which I, I think I'm that's yeah, that's that's why it's happening, and I'm great with it. If this is, especially, I can't remember which game it was. I think it might have even been the Avs game, but the penalties of aggression was like... That was Mikola, the Nashville game. Mikko and Pareko yeah. in that same game had two penalties where it was like, I couldn't be happier about both of those penalties. Go sit in the box and hang out there for yeah, a couple I mean, of look, minutes. We got this. Last night, Pareko had a cross-checking call. I, I mean, he had a couple of tripping calls. Levo got a hooking call, which is about as soft as you can ask for, but that was because of a hard play on a player in the offensive zone. They're playing physical, and they're getting called for it, which I'm A-OK with right yeah, now. Yeah, that's better than the alternative. And now that they have the penalty kill that you can trust, it's even better you can than, play that than way. what it was previously. Blues back in action tonight against the Seattle Kraken. We'll see how their special teams hold up in that one. Pre-game coverage without starting at 8. We've got the puck drop right here on 101 ESPN starting at 9 o'clock. Speaking of the Blues, we're talking to our Blues insider for The Athletic, Jeremy Rutherford. What does he make of this team? Is he ready to buy back in, or is he still waiting to see some more? We'll ask JR next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. I'm Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. Jeremy Rutherford has seen some stuff in his days on the Blues beat. This year, I don't know that he's ever seen anything quite like it. It started out really nice. It ended up going really poorly. The president of hockey operations comes out and says, whether you want to call it a retool, rebuild, maybe that's the path we're going to have to go down. And now, looks like everything's fixed again. So with that in mind, we go now to the Brown and Crippet Celebrity Line to talk to our friend, the Blues Insider for The Athletic. He is Jeremy Rutherford joining us here on the show. JR, how you doing today? I have seen nothing like this before. I'm <laughs> doing great, guys. How you guys doing? Uh, doing see- so you're saying this is going to be better than the Stanley Cup run, JR? Because you've never seen this like before? <laughs> that was crazy. That was the other end of the spectrum, right? And uh, it did start out similarly. Uh, will this season end with a Stanley Cup? Yes. Good. Never say never after 2019. But uh, I don't even recall 2018, the first half of this, being being like this. Oh, I do. My post games well, were we, we've gone talking through about this, tanking. So it, it was different. It was more of like win two, lose two. Win two, lose two. It was one step forward, two steps back. This was five steps forward, 27 steps back, 15 steps forward, and then you take another. It, it's just been like the ups and downs. I, I don't think that you can compare it to really anything. I, I can't remember seeing anything quite like it. Um, and JR, with that in mind, I did want to ask you about two of the guys that are kind of leading the charge right now, and that's Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo. At the beginning of the season, when we were talking about all of the downs, those were the two guys that were probably getting the most criticism, especially Jordan Cairo. And now you look at his numbers. I mean, since November 10th, he's third in the NHL in points. And that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. I mean, to the each extreme, uh, both uh, positive and negative with this team, and, and I'll touch on those two guys in particular, but you go back to the 3-0 and start, and the headline that we had at The Athletic was uh, this team can find any different way to win. And so what they do, they go and they lose eight straight and and then you talk about a seven game winning streak and you talk about a couple players in Kyra and Thomas where people were saying how could you give them these long-term contracts this is ridiculous way too soon you overpaid so on and so forth and now they're the two best players on the team obviously something that the organization Doug Armstrong saw when they signed them to the deal listen I don't think that people should feel guilty of being critical of uh, individual players or the team throughout the season there are definitely times when they have uh, deserved it. But the one thing I try to abide by, guys, is uh, if you're going to pick on them when things aren't going well, give them credit when they're doing the right things, and that's what they're doing right now. Will we be saying these same things in two weeks? We we don't know. We've learned that firsthand this season, but right now they're doing the right things. Oh, well, BK doesn't believe in that, Jared. BK likes to player shame people if they you know, are out of player. I, I was on this guy's bandwagon all season. Jared has nothing on that one Jared the other area that has been improved at least for me personally has been the way that they're playing defensively we we just talked about this a little bit ago with how they're playing at even strength not allowing really a lot of goals at even strength in this five game stretch but on top of that not a lot of high danger scoring chances I'm so confused on this side of it because every time I want to say, hey, I think the defense has got it figured out, then they go out and they allow three-plus goals in a period for eight straight games. Yeah, just the six goals against in the four-game streak. And you look I looked it up last night, even strength. They're outscoring teams 10-4, uh, to four, even strength in that stretch. And so when you look back just a couple weeks ago, we were talking about four-plus goals a game 
in uh, in those uh, nine straight games. And so I think they have done a pretty good job. I did talk to Craig Ruby Sunday. He's in Vancouver, and, and uh, he said that he feels like they're playing harder in front of their net. I think that's the one big criticism that we've had all season long of this team, uh, not very physical, allowing those backdoor plays, and, and that's something that they're cutting down on. Uh, but the one number, and I know, Alex, you focus on it, everybody should, is that goal differential number. And last night I looked at it after the game. I think it's at 15 right now, minus 15. It's still a bad number. It's an ugly number. That's not a playoff number, but it's coming down a little bit. And when you get up as bad as it was, it's going to take some time to get it back down to zero and get it into that uh, positive. Uh, But I think what they're doing is is each game progressively uh, getting better, cutting down on those types of goals against, and and slowly but surely the defense is looking better. So, JR, coming into this five-game road trip we said we needed to see something like three one and one for us to really even think about jumping back on board and believing that okay maybe this team does have a little bit something going into it well they're three oh and oh so far to start out the trip what do you need to see to start believing again all right maybe there's something here and i don't know if you planned a vacation or not as we get into like you know mid-april late april maybe you got to start getting that insurance going for those and potentially planning for a playoff run. Well, my son wants to go to the Cardinal series at Dodger stadium in April. And uh, there are times the past couple of weeks where I thought about booking it, <laughs> but I think I'm uh, after this last little stretch, I'm, I'm a little bit uh, leery. I don't want to lose those points if I just uh, throw them on that trip, but uh, you know what I want to see? It's not going to be seen on this trip. It's going to be seen uh, when you come back from the Christmas break, when you play teams, like Toronto, like Minnesota, like New Jersey. And again, I go back to what I abide by, I told you a second ago, is uh, you can't take anything away from the Blues, but they're going to have to play some better opponents. I think these teams that they're beaten, yes, they're ahead of them in the standings, just ahead of them, and these are great, great, great points, but these are teams that they should be better. I realize Edmonton's got a good group, but Calgary, you know, I think that the, the, the Blues are better than them, Nashville, so on and so forth. So if you go back to the last, uh, really true opponents that the Blues played, you know, they struggled with them. The Carolinas, the Pittsburghs, the Rangers, the New York, I'm sorry, the uh, Winnipeg Jets. And, and so they're going to have to play some, some better teams. But the one thing that I think has changed since the Blues played that group of teams that I just mentioned is their all-around game is just better. Like, you look at the 5-on-5, uh, the five five, you look at the uh, the scoring, they're getting chances. Yeah, the power play is not getting goals, but uh, Craig Bruby pointed out on Sunday, he said they're getting you know, some good uh, chances. You saw that last night with Shen, and he hits the bar on on that power play, and then they uh, scored a couple later. So to me, it's going to be coming down to uh, that stretch of games after Christmas, which is going to lead right into uh, the calendar year, and then Doug Armstrong's going to have to, you know, whatever he thinks about the team now, get a real firm grip on his feelings in terms of what they're going to do moving forward. That was my next question. That's what you want to see, Jared. What do you think Doug Armstrong wants to see? Because, you know, the rumors have been swirling that teams have called about Ryan O'Reilly and you've got Vladimir Tarasenko, who's an unrestricted free agent. And I said this post game, like, I truly think regardless of what this team does, it's going to go all the way up to the trade deadline for Doug to decide what he wants to do. Yeah, Alex, it's definitely, definitely becoming more interesting. I mean, even two weeks ago, you're saying, you know, I I think that the other shoe is going to drop at some point, and Doug Armstrong is going to stick to kind of what he feels about this team, that it's probably not a true, true, true contender, and it's probably best for the organization to to do some sort of a retool. But, I mean, that said, what if you come back from Christmas and, 
and you are playing well against those top teams. You know, this is a team that maybe it isn't as good as the 2019 team. You know, I really do think that that group finally caught up to, to play in the way it should have been and, and then really caught fire and went on a roll. Maybe this team isn't that team, but there are still a lot of good things about this team. And, and I think that if they can put it together, a lot of times it's who's getting hot at the right time. If they get hot, then you have a situation where maybe Doug just says, okay, maybe put that retool on, on hold. But, you know, if I had to guess, you know, I think that it's going to be a situation where, uh, you know, the Blues aren't going to put together some sort of lengthy run that's going to push Doug over the edge and say, hey, we can win with this team. Let's add. Let's, let's do that at the deadline. Let's not get rid of these pieces. Um, you know, if I had to guess, that would probably be the side that I would err on. But, again, you can't take anything away from uh, it looking like this group is starting to put it together a little bit. Jared, final question that I've got for you. We'll get you out of here on this one. What's up with this Buchnevich experiment at center? Yeah, you know, it's a little bit of uh, curiosity. Uh did talk to Craig Bruby about it uh, on Sunday, and he said, hey, look, you can never have enough centers. You know, that seemed to me to be a little bit of a uh, – I better have that answer prepared, <laughs> you know, when, <laughs> when you ask that question. What's going to happen with Ryan O'Reilly? What's going to happen with Ivan Barbashev? You know, who are these teams' uh, centers after the trade deadline? And, and does moving Pavel Buchnevich to center, knowing that you might have a hole there if they move an O'Reilly, you know, that's probably not something that they're you know, game planning for and preparing for right now. They want to win games and get points. I get it. But I, I do think that moving forward, this group could look different. And the one thing uh, that uh, Bruby said is that uh, Buchnevich did come up as a center. He hasn't played that in his NHL career. You could tell with the faceoffs, he won just one of uh, seven, and then quickly they went away from playing him full-time center, and he was back at the wing. So a little bit of center mixed in last night. I don't think this is something that's going to be uh, full-time until uh, they know what the roster is moving forward and probably an off-season of talking about Buchnevich going to the middle. Yeah, according to Panger, he was losing face-offs uh, at practice the other day against Steve Ott. So, uh, probably hey, not. Steve Ott's a great face-off <laughs> man. Probably not the greatest sign when Steve Ott's been retired for a few years now. Hey, Jerry, we appreciate the time as always, man. We'll be reading your work over at The Athletic. Have yourself a uh, very Merry Christmas. You, you've done so much for our show and the station over the years, and uh, we wish you and yours all the best during this holiday season, man. No, you guys too, and uh, we have a nice uh, Noel Achari piece coming out in The Athletic in a couple of days, uh, holiday-related. He's a big uh, December, Christmas, holiday season guy. Lots of fun uh, stories talking to him and the people around him, so that'll be fun to uh, to publish in a couple of days. Makes sense. His name's Noel. I mean, It's Noel. You got it. it makes sense. <laughs> Jay, I appreciate the time, man. We'll talk with you soon. All right, see you guys. It's Jeremy Rutherford here on 101 ESPN. Hey, Come on, man. The Keep dad the dad jokes, jokes to yourself. Morning, it's all right? just like the story writes itself. Oh, oh, I, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, because his parents named him Noel because of Christmas. I mean, maybe. It's I'll be pronounced I, Noel. I I'm actually very excited to read the piece. I wonder if there's... Siri doesn't agree with me. I wonder if there's something <laughs> in there about it. Like, hey... Did you get your name from the Christmas holiday season? <laughs> JR, JR's a better journalist than that. Dad's going, hey, were you named after the holidays? Just go to break, man. I feel like it's a fair question. No, it's not. Uh, by the way, he it's mentioned... question. <laughs> <laughs> next Coming time we up, see... Hey, Noel, were you named after Noel? No, next time we see Noel Chari, I will ask him. I hope he punches you. <laughs> <laughs> My nose is going to be looking sideways here pretty soon. Um, too. So... He mentioned the goal differential for the Blues. 
It's a uh, minus 15. By the way, JR said that's the lead of the story. Son of a... Come on, JR! <laughs> so, I'm so happy. That makes me so happy. All right. Uh, he, mentioned, he mentioned goal differential. Did you know the LA Kings right now are second in the Pacific Division <laughs> yeah, with a negative 10 goal differential? Yeah, the Pacific is just very confusing. It's Vegas and then everybody else. It's like, whose line is it anyways? The rules are made up and the points don't matter out in the Pacific. I like, mean... <laughs> You're, you're, in my opinion, you're, you're seeing the second best team in the Pacific Division tonight in Seattle. And in points version, the Kings are better than the Seattle Kraken. But the Kraken are a better team than the and Kings. And points percentage, the Kraken are ahead of them. And, and like, then it's the Kings, the Oilers, the Flames, the Canucks that are all just mediocre. You're seeing right now on this road trip the best that the Pacific has to offer. And that tells you everything see, you need see, to know see, so this far. is why that if they can figure it out and go on a little bit of a run the western conference is wide open because now colorado's got all their guys injured when they come back who knows what they'll look like but winnipeg and dallas are the two best teams right now and i mean i don't think they're like clear cut like the vegas golden knights it's vegas and everybody else right now in the western conference so if you figure it out and you get on a little bit of a run it makes things a lot more interesting you text and jr about how happy you are about the christmas coming up in 15 minutes on, we'll dive man. into the junk drawer but next the cardinals are putting Dylan Carlson and Tyler O'Neill on notice, and I kind of like it. I'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. look at our outfield you know both those guys there's 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 pressure on them to perform this year but I think they're going to embrace that I think they want that but they understand that which is most important and then obviously you know we haven't talked about Lars but you know Lars had a breakout year hopefully he can continue that build on that Um, and if he does based on what we have in the infield now that we what we have from a catching standpoint we're really excited about our lineup Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was John Mosaloc yesterday talking with Frank Cusimano on KSDK. The full interview is worth your time, but that was when he was asked about what is your outfield going to look like and where do Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson fit into that mix? Alex, this is the first time that I've heard John Mosaloc put real pressure on those two. Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson, I think are in the same spot going into this season, which is Hey, you guys are going to be the heir apparents, essentially. You're you're going to get the right of first refusal in the outfield. And if it goes all right for you in spring training, I think their opening day outfield uh, starting on opening day will be Dylan Carlson, Tyler O'Neill, Lars Newbar. I think your outfield construction looks like that on opening day. If they don't hit, though, if it ends up being for them what it was last year for Paul DeYoung, where they struggle or they get hurt or whatever, man, they're going to lose their jobs. Like, they will lose their jobs eventually to Alec Burleson or Juan Yepes or Moises Gomez or Jordan Walker or Nolan Gorman or, um, I mean, you could have any number of Brendan Donovan. Not Nolan Gorman. Maybe. Like, I I think they're going to be willing to try anything to make sure that they get real, tangible production at the plate from their outfield this year. And if those guys aren't going to bring it for them, they've got other options who will. And I think that's the way that the Cardinals are treating this season is it's it's make or break time for both Dylan Carlson and Tyler O'Neill. Carlson, I don't think will be like traded or moved on from in any way, but 
he could go into next year as your fourth outfielder, and it shouldn't surprise anybody. Tyler O'Neill, this is it. This is your last shot to really catch on with the St. Louis Cardinals. This is your last chance. And it should be this way because this is you're going into the season hoping to throw numbers at your offense. And you got a lot of guys that you're trying to get a lot of at-bats for so you can figure out who they are. And you can't be sitting there saying, well, we're not sure how they're going to get those at-bats or we'll send them to AAA so they can get those at-bats if guys aren't performing at the major league level. I, I think... I think there's more pressure on Tyler O'Neill than Dylan Carlson in this spot because I think you're always going to have a spot for Dylan Carlson. Tyler O'Neill, this does feel like it's the last straw for him. It's, look, you stay healthy and give us 120-plus games and give us competent outfield production on the offensive side. Otherwise, we've got guys that are going to Wally pip you. I think the pressure is the same for a starting spot. I think the consequences are different. I think the consequences for Dylan Carlson is you're reverted back to you're being a platoon, player. a platoon player who starts against exclusively left-handed pitching. Tyler O'Neill, you're The consequences for Tyler O'Neill could be you're traded. Or like you're he, just going to be Paul DeYoung and you're going to be a bench bat for us. Yeah, one of those two. You're, you're a pinch runner for us late in oh. games and a defensive replacement. Yeah, he'll get hurt doing it, so it's, the, uh, it's either that or you're traded. And, and I think there's a real chance that if he doesn't produce – he is traded to somebody else where they say our roster spot is more valuable than you being here right now. Like that, that is in play for Tyler O'Neill. Now what is also in play for O'Neill, kind of like the Flaherty conversation we had earlier today is that he finishes the season getting MVP votes. Like that is a crazy wide range of outcomes as to what he could be this year, but that's where they're at with this outfield. Lars Newbar wouldn't surprise me if he's a fourth outfielder by the end of the season. Wouldn't surprise me if he's an all-star Jordan Walker, wouldn't surprise me if he started for you on opening day. Wouldn't surprise me if this upcoming season, his season is a lot, uh, has a lot of similarities to what we saw last year from Nolan Gorman. Not in the swing and miss, but as there's some ups, there's some downs, but he's a 21-year-old kid that is going to need a little more seasoning before he's a super productive major leaguer. There's just there's a bear or and a bull case for every single player in this outfield going into the season. Yeah, and I agree with the assessment on O'Neal. I, I, I thought they reached that point of, okay, it's probably time for us to move on, but I think they wanted to wait a year because they just viewed it as injuries for him. But I, I do think if it turns out next year to where he's not healthy and or he's healthy and he's just not producing, they will look to just kind of flip him and just look for, I think we talked about it this year, look for just a bullpen arm. Get a bullpen arm in exchange for Tyler O'Neill. That's where they value the roster spot more than O'Neill if he's healthy. I, I think Carlson is kind of one of those where it's you either are a everyday player or you become a platoon bat or the fourth outfield bat. And I, I think that is the range of outcomes for him. And I, I think the Cardinals... We'll look at Carlson. I could see them giving him just another run just because of how highly touted he was coming up from the minors with Mo saying, you know, got a prime for my cold, dead yeah. hands. So maybe he would get another opportunity if this year continues to go awry for him. But I, I do think this is that year to where it is, you know, it's possible that you're looking at the outfield for this year is also going to be there in 2024. By the time we get to 2024, we're talking about a whole other set of outfielders where you've got three new names when it comes to opening day in 2024. I think that's the range of outcomes as well. 65780 is your comfort service text line. This one comes from the 618. Guys, have you seen Burleson and Yepes play in the outfield? They are not major league outfielders. I mean, they're below average defensively. No doubt about it. They can catch the ball. If they hit, they play. It really is going to be that simple. We've seen this with Ollie Marmel. If you are a guy that gets into the lineup and you show you can produce, you're going to go out there and you're going to play basically every day until you stop hitting. And then they're going to find somebody else who can take over that spot and start hitting again. Last year, Corey Dickerson was one of the worst outfielders I've seen in a Cardinals uniform. He hit and he started playing every day. Why? Because they needed the production. And this year going into the season, they need to find some production in that outfield. 
if it doesn't come internally, I think there are options for them. And I heard BT talking about this yesterday on the fast lane where he said the left-handed hitting outfield market is starting to really thin out. There was a report yesterday, I think it was from Ken Rosenthal, that Alex, your guy, Michael Conforto, might not be 100% healthy. There are some teams that have some concerns about him throwing. Didn't stop the Cardinals last year with Corey Dickerson. Maybe it doesn't stop them I don't with... need throwing. I need power. Did I say Michael Brantley? Michael no, Conforto. you said, you okay. said Michael Conforto. Conforto. Michael Conforto is the guy that um, their teams just aren't sure on. <laughs> Matt Carpenter just signed. Joey Gallo has already signed. Kevin Kiermeyer has signed. Adam Frazier has signed. Michael Brantley has signed. It's starting to get real thin. Now it's like David Peralta... Tyler Naquin and Ben Gamble. Those are pretty much your only real left-handed hitting options that are available in, in the, uh, in the market right now. Could that lead to a trade? Here's Steve Phillips of MLB network yesterday talking about one potential trade candidate. Here's a guy, Kepler, that when you break down the numbers, he performed much better last year than the numbers indicate. He had some really bad luck, and, and one of the biggest gaps between his, his Woba weighted OBA on base average and his expected weighted on base average. And so when you look at those overall numbers, he's a guy that I think teams could look for upside. I could see a team like the Blue Jays really intrigued by him as well. Of course, BK wants to bring up a guy whose Woba is so great, and he just got unlucky. Where have I heard this one before? I'm not going to sit here and like talk up Max Kepler. He's not an exciting player at this point in his career. At one point in time, I absolutely would have been talking up Max Kepler because he was a super fun player and he was really productive for uh, the Twins. 2019, 25% above league average. 2020, shortened season, 10% above league average. Since then, 2% below league average. And last year, 7% below league average. He was not good against righties. He was not good against lefties. There's nothing I can really tell you to suggest, hey, he's going to get it figured out. It's going to work for him somewhere else. That being said, he's a left-handed hitter. That has proven in the past that he can be an above-average hitter. Alex Wood Max Kepler, who is on the final year of his deal, he is 29 years old. Is that a guy that could interest you? Because I, I have searched far and wide for left-handed hitting outfielders that could be available in a trade market. Man, this is like the only name that really feels like he could be available right now. No, I mean, depending on what you'd have to give up for him, like if you're not giving up a lot, then sure. What if it's Dakota Hudson? No. And I'm asking this in all seriousness because the the Twins do need uh, an extra pitcher. They could use a starter. But he does, for what it's worth, there are some underlying numbers from last year. Like he does not strike out. He does walk at a really good clip. He is a pretty solid outfielder. He plays good defensively. There are some underlying reasons as to why you would believe in him turning it around next year. Just none of that showed up in the stats. And I'm I'm answering it seriously. Like, I know that I joke about Dakota Hudson. I, I wouldn't because, like, you need depth when it comes to your rotation this season. And I think Dakota Hudson's going to provide that with the pitch clock. I would still be interested in Max Kepler if I can get it where I'm trading away a guy that probably doesn't have a spot in my system right now or somebody who doesn't have an opportunity on my major league roster. Like Would you that- trade upside for quote-unquote certainty? Kepler, it's, it's hard to call him a certainty, but he's more proven at the major leagues. Like, Would you do an Alec Burleson or Max Kepler type of I thing? Would. I would. I would. I, the only way I'm making a move for Kepler is if it's like a baseball but trade. I don't think and Bur- that's essentially the, the idea that I have in mind is and I don't think they would do it, but swap Paul DeYoung for Max Kepler, making right around the what same about like a base Jordan salary Hicks for Max Kepler. 
I, I wouldn't See, I do, do it. Hicks. I, I, I think wouldn't. you need Hicks. Because and one, I, I'm just not sure that I, Kepler's a guy that I Alec want Burleson here in doesn't have a, based on his numbers. Burleson doesn't have a role on this team, in my opinion. But he might in future years, and that's where you're giving up like six years of club control for one, and you're giving of... up six years of club control. And like we might not be super high on Alec Burleson. Man, he crushed in the minors last year, and he's a top 100 prospect. There's real value in a left-handed hitting outfield slash DH. But I feel like you got a lot of those guys in your system already. That do crushed, you? I mean, Juan Yepes is one of those guys. You've got Nolan Gorman who's taking that spot for you right now you've got this Joshua Baez that they're pretty high like you got a lot of guys but in a lot your of system those are uncertain and he just did it at a at a really I mean he was at AAA and he did it which is the next closest thing to being in the big leagues and he's left-handed and that has I mean we've seen it around the league Matt Carpenter just got a 20 million dollar deal for essentially being a high upside left-handed bat that has proven that he can contribute at the major league level if Alec Burleson ends up being pretty good next year it's not just where does he play for the Cardinals what could he get you next year if he ends up producing this season for the Cardinals at the major league level? It could be something that is way more valuable than a Max Kepler. So that's what you're potentially punting on. I would not do that deal. I would consider a guy like Kepler, though, because I do think that there's a, a role for him on the Cardinals. I'm just not sure how the two teams match up. I think the guy that would maybe make some sense is is like a Jordan Hicks type. If they ended up saying, hey, would you be interested in doing this deal one for one? I don't know that the Twins would. I don't know what they value Max Kepler as. I don't know what they're specifically looking for, but that might be something that I would consider. And the reason I'm bringing up Kepler again is just because he's the only real name that fits into this trade for a left-handed bat category. There could be somebody else out there that we're not thinking of that's the same type of a conversation. I'd still sign Michael Conforto. Even if the concerns are he can't throw, he's a bat. Probably get him even cheaper now because they're worried he can't play the outfield. I'd still sign him. Yeah, I, I would still be out on Conforto. I had concerns about his shoulder going into the offseason. Now the reports are he's not healthy. I, I have no interest. And, and to the Kepler point, like I would rather just see what I have in Newbar Burleson. And I understand that you're would looking you at a guy that has Would you rather sign one of the guys that are available, like a Naquin, Gamble, or Peralta? They, I, like, I would probably rather just sign one of those three than trading for um, Kepler at this point. I, I would, too, unless, unless it's just a contract swap. If it, If it is simply a... Well, you know, we'll give you a guy that we think needs a change of scenery for a guy that you have that needs a change of scenery, like DeYoung for Kepler. Then I would do that deal. But like, uh, otherwise, yeah, I would just sign Gamble or who was the other one you said, Naquin. Yeah, Naquin and David Peralta. Yeah, I, I I'd think rather, Peralta's, Peralta's the guy. I would think Peralta's going to get signed to a bigger deal than we're expecting. I, I think he gets around what Carpenter got. Yeah, one year, I, I, ten to twelve million dollars plus maybe an option. And if if he ends up getting that, I'm I'm not sure I would give him that. Naquin's the one that I find really interesting. He he can play all over in the outfield. He's a he's got a really good arm. He's an okay outfielder for you. And then it comes back to Ben Gamble, who I I said all along. Good lord, Ben Gamble is the guy. Coming up in about ten minutes or so. This is the Blues' last gasp, and they seem to know it internally as well. We'll tell you some of the quotes from what we heard earlier today from Darren Pang. I think it's worth your time. We'll do that coming up in ten minutes. The junk drawer is next. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open and achieve a checking account today. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex, have you ever thought about becoming like a super fan for a team? Brandon. Come on, Brandon. 
your junk drawer will not work today. You want to know why, BK? What'd you do? It's my final day before I go into the holiday break. Oh, no. Because the Christmas season is right around the corner. <laughs> I'm not doing this. I thought the perfect way to do our junk drawer today would be to uh, have something new for our BK and Ferrario show. It's the annual dad joke holiday season. Yes. You guys ready for this? About. Yeah, no. I'm ready. Are you kidding me? No. Let's, God, see, let's no. see how my, uh, Please, no. let's see how straight of a face you guys oh, can keep no. on these. You all ready? right, all right. I'll try not to laugh. All right. Hey guys. Yeah. How much did Santa pay for his sleigh? A reindeer. Nothing. It was on the house. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, hey, BK. Yeah. Alex. What do you think the best Christmas present is? The gift of your presence. No, it's a broken drum because you just can't beat it. <laughs> oh, boom! What do you get for that one? <laughs> hey, T-Bone. Yeah. How'd the ornament get addicted to the uh, Christmas? Didn't know what you were saying there. How, How did the ornament get addicted to Christmas? Yeah. To the Christmas. It was on a leaf. Nah, he was hooked on his tree for uh, his whole life. Oh, that one was bad. <laughs> Come on. What are the best... We what, one. what are the best Christmas sweaters made from? Cashmere. Fleece Navidad. <laughs> <laughs> Boom! That one was good. This one hits close to home. I hope you added a Nola Cherry one on What's there. every parent's favorite uh, Christmas carol? Oh, gosh. I Give it to me, imagine. man. Silent Night. It's fine. Hey, T-Bone. Okay? Yeah. This one feels like for you. For you. Okay. Why did Santa's helper see a therapist? I don't know why this one was intended for me. Because they had low elf esteem. <laughs> oh! Got him! Got him! You're an elf. You got that one, right? <laughs> <laughs> that one was bad. I like that. Hey, uh, hey, BK. Mm-hmm. What do you call a bankrupt Santa? What do we got? Gotta do something with an elf. Saint Nicholas. <laughs> <laughs> hey, T-Bone. This is so stupid. Why does Santa always enter through the chimney? <laughs> uh, I... Because it soots him. <laughs> hey, BK. Uh-huh. What's Santa's favorite place to deliver presents? Well, obviously under the tree. Ida! Ho, ho, ho! Gosh, I should know that one. Was <laughs> I'm so mad at myself for not getting I that I can't one. believe we <laughs> agreed to do this. What kind of motorbike does Santa ride? Uh, I have no idea. A Holly Davidson. I think my favorite part about this is how much Alex genuinely loves every second of it. Who delivers Christmas presents to sharks? By the way, get, get your guesses in on these on the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. Feel free to be a part of this, our misery. It's Santa Jaws. I, you mentioned his how much he enjoys these. We came up with this idea like a week ago. That's why BK forgot about it. I have a whole list. <laughs> and like... He's been giddy about this. I every wanted to day tell you I about the him. chief superfan that's in prison after he robbed yeah, multiple banks. That'll be that'll be Monday. Who's Santa's favorite singer? Uh, Frank. I'm not stopping until you guess one of these right. So oh, <laughs> we're gosh. carrying this all day long. 
Elphis Presley. Oh, I should have known that one. That, was- that one was right there for the taking. What did uh, What did Santa ask Rudolph about the weather? Something about the red. Is it gonna rain, dear? <laughs> All right, you got like three more of these. What says O-O-O? O-O-O. It's magic. Santa walking backwards. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that one. That one was good. What is Santa's nationality, BK? Uh, Careful. What? What's his nationality? Something from... He's from the North Pole, man. (laughs) He's North Polish. Damn it, I'm so close. (laughs) (laughs) I almost went into this thing. Why doesn't Santa ever go to the hospital? He's always a jolly good fella. <laughs> I don't know, man. He's got private elf care. <laughs> <laughs> what do you call a kid who doesn't believe in Santa Claus? Whoa. Hey. Wait, what are you trying to tell me? What do you call a kid that doesn't Naughty. believe in Santa Claus? <laughs> you call him... The BK. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> you call him a rebel without a clause. <laughs> Final one. You got Ryder to laugh on that one. <laughs> I can't, <laughs> I can't believe he actually fell for that. Hey, uh, hey, Ryder. <laughs> what do you get if Santa goes down the chimney when a fire is lit? A crisp Kringle. He <laughs> 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 got BK on that one. Happy holidays, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, hey, Alex. Yeah, buddy. Who's never hungry on Christmas? I don't know. The turkey, because it's stuffed. <laughs> Nobody eats turkey on Christmas. That was a sucky dad what? joke. I think a lot of people eat turkey, on, eat Christmas. turkey on Christmas. What's green covered in tinsel You've and got goes? Another one. <laughs> What's green? Co- I have fifty of these guys. Oh my gosh. What's green covered in tinsel and goes ribbit, ribbit, ribbit? A missile toad. <laughs> I promise whatever we do next will be better here on BK and Ferrario. Happy holidays. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You know, I think players felt like uh-oh, Doug Armstrong's going around the league right about now and saying, I'm open for business. And, and I think you can hear whispers of that when you're a player. Mm. And when that when that happens, too, you get in that locker room together and you're like, boys, let's go. I don't want to wake up tomorrow morning and have some of my close friends being traded. We have got it smart enough here. That was Darren Pang earlier today on The Morning Show with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. The Blues are 5-1-1 one, one in their last seven games. They have started this five-game road trip with three consecutive victories. And Alex, the Blues look like things are headed in the right direction. According to that, from Darren Pang, at least part of it dates back to them realizing, hey, there's some moves that could genuinely be made here if we don't get this ship righted. Over on ESPN.com, there was a similar type of a report. Emily Kaplan wrote earlier today, quote, Doug Armstrong told me that his staff has two plans that are in place 
for what direction they could go at the trade deadline, though he wouldn't commit to any sort of timetable for when he could make the decision on which path is most likely. He added that two veterans become free agents this summer, Vladimir Tarasenko and Captain Ryan O'Reilly. Since Tarasenko has a no-trade clause, St. Louis is having a hard time moving him. That's shaping up to be a potential off-season divorce. Meanwhile, front office executives on teams have told Emily Kaplan they believe O'Reilly could end up being available. Josh Levo, according to her, is another sneaky potential depth pickup at the deadline should St. Louis decide to unload. So this is something that not just Aaron Pang is hearing, but we have heard it specifically from Doug Armstrong whenever they were, they were struggling earlier this season. It's very real. The possibility that the Blues decided to go in this direction. And Alex, if this road trip went the wrong way, I think that could have happened like, hey, send out your Christmas shopping list because the Blues are ready to start selling. And coming up after the roster freeze is over, they could have started early and decided, you know what? Some of you guys would like to have a longer period of time with a Ryan O'Reilly, a Josh Levo, an Ivan Barbashev, maybe even some of their longer term players if somebody wanted a, a player like that. Them doing this? could completely alter what that plan is for Doug Armstrong. It absolutely can. And here's my only concern with that, though. If that is the reason that they're playing better, like, are you confident that they can keep it going all season? Because it was essentially a threat that got this team to play consistently. And sometimes I don't think a threat's going to make a difference in terms of who you are and who you are trying to be. But if that is the case, that Doug Armstrong told them, like, this is going to change if you guys don't fix it. And frankly, he said this back in October in the eight-game losing streak when he told them, we're not firing the coach. We'll move players. We're not firing the coach. So they've known this since October, and now it's clicking. So that's why I don't think it was a threat that turned the tide. But I'm still under the belief that Doug Armstrong doesn't view this team as a team that can go deep in the playoffs. As currently constructed. As currently constructed. And that's where he's at the crossroads of looking at this and saying, we've got two directions. We get to the trade deadline and our team's playing better. And I say, all right, let's see if we can find something out there that makes us a deeper team. Offensively, probably talking about somebody to play in your top six. Or we need to take a step back as an organization and say, we've got to retool. Whatever that might be. And the, this is our best chance in a long time for us to retool because you've got a Ryan O'Reilly, you've got a Vladimir Tarasenko, a Barbashev, a Levo, heck, if Thomas Grice plays well, you could probably see what's on the market for a backup goaltender. I, I just, if that's the, the talk that was going around that locker room of like, we need to fix this, you're going to have to put it together for a longer stretch for Doug Armstrong to say like, that's fine, we're good to go. I've got a follow-up question. Is there a great team in the West this year? No. Well, Colorado, when they're healthy. Are they? We, we haven't seen them healthy this season. They haven't had Landeskog all year. McKinnon's been out for like the last four weeks. Nachushkin's been out for a pretty decent amount of time. Uh, they don't have uh, one of their defensemen. Like, I think Colorado's still a good team. I think Colorado's a fatigued team. because Do you it's trust difficult. their goaltending? No, not at all. And last year, they were able to overcome it. So maybe they could do that again. That's that possible. was a rested Colorado team. That's not a team that went all the di- all the way in a Stanley Cup final against Tampa. And right now they they are not a team that is expecting to be able to rest down the stretch. They they've got some real questions mm-hmm. as a team right now. The best 
points percentage in the Western Conference is Dallas. Dallas is really good. We saw them. They're, they're a really good team. Dallas is beatable, though. Is that a team that is like, man, that's a juggernaut. Can't beat them. Not the way the Colorado was last year. If, if the Blues are playing the way they're playing now and taking on Dallas, it's a very comparable matchup. Vegas and Winnipeg next. And then you like the fifth best or fourth best team right now in terms of winning percentage in the Western Conference is a team that you're going to see tonight in the Seattle Kraken. Man, I'm looking up and down that roster right now. They look like a pretty good team. That is not an unbeatable force that you're going up against tonight in Seattle. And the reason why I bring all of this up is because I think in a vacuum, like in a typical year where you've got somebody that is just, man, that team's going to be real tough to compete with in the playoffs. Almost every year we've had that in recent seasons in the Western Conference. Don't know that you have that this year. And as a result of that, if the Blues are able to sustain this and they play better and they look like they're at least battling for a playoff spot, I do think this is a team that might be worth investing because it might be your last chance to invest in this version of the Blues. And as such, man, if you get the right piece and you put them in with Ryan O'Reilly, for example, on that top line, and now you've got a top nine that looks really good. You got a fourth line that's starting to take shape. Your defense is starting to look the way that it has recently. Jordan Bennington is going to give you a chance in the playoffs. We know that. What if the Blues could be worth investing in? And that's kind of where I'm starting to reshape my focus is, all right, there's going to be plenty of time to talk about what it looks like if they retool, rebuild, whatever. If they continue doing what they're doing right now, there's going to be real reasons for Doug Armstrong to second guess himself and say, you know what? Maybe we should go out there and acquire somebody that can help us in our top six. And I think there's the clear spot that you're looking to upgrade and it's Josh Levo. And I mean, I'm, I'm the Josh Levo uh, fan club. Like I, I think Josh Levo plays the right way, but that's the spot that I think you'd look at a Doug and you'd say, all right, if we feel like we got a deep run in us, let's go find somebody who could play in that top six power play threat, big body, somebody who's younger. Honestly, it's a Pavel Buchnevich trade. And that was an off season. That was a hockey trade, but there's guys out there and heck you just played against one that I think would make the most sense for your team. If you decide to go that route and Brock Besser, because he's 25 years old, you're bringing him in with two more years on a $6 million contract. If you're not sure if Ryan O'Reilly is going to be back and Vladimir Tarasenko and Barbashev, your top six looks pretty damn good if you get a Brock Besser. But that's if they go that direction. And I'm with you. The only team that I think is going to be a threat for St. Louis, if they get to that point, because I think Vegas is beatable too. Vegas has just gotten really lucky with some phenomenal and I do think they're, like I don't want to downplay too much. Like Dallas is really good. Vegas is really good. Colorado at full strength is going to be really good. The when, point that I was trying to make was not like all these teams stink. No, but, it's a like, wide open Western Conference. You don't have a Boston. Mm-hmm. If the Boston Bruins were in the Western Conference instead of the East, I would feel much different about where the Blues are right now than them being in the East. Hell, New Jersey is a really good team. Carolina, a really good team. Those teams are also deep in every area of their roster. Nobody in the Western Conference is as good as any of those three teams. Who's this conference's last year's Colorado Avalanche? There isn't one. There isn't one. And that's why if you're I think all of these teams in the West right now at the top are more similar to what the Blues were last year. And it comes down to right now what it is is it's phenomenal goaltending. Connor Hallibuck has been lights out. He's the one that I'd be concerned about. Uh, You're getting great goaltending from the young players in Vegas. And Dallas is Jake Ottinger, although he's been kind of up and down in terms of injuries this season. Goaltending is the name of the game in the Western Conference, and it comes down to I think the Blues have the advantage when it comes to goaltending and Jordan Bennington. But you still like, I, 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 if I'm Doug, I still have to measure: is it worth going and feeling like we've got a run in us and not gaining assets and losing these guys to nothing? Yes. If you if you feel like you have a chance, the answer is yes. 
Because, man, I, I don't man, know what this you, team's going to look like next year. But if you year. get bounced in the first round and you had the opportunity to gain two first-round draft so picks, then so be it. Man, That's the, tough. The, the odds of those first-round draft picks becoming significant players for you, not super high. Like we, We've seen how this works over the years. Some of them end up working out really well, and they become like a Robert Thomas. Others end up never playing a game in the NHL. If you have a chance this year, and I don't know what the percentage would have to be for him to feel this way. Maybe it's just a gut thing. But if the Western Conference continues to look like this and the Blues continue playing the way that they have in their last seven games as opposed to what they were prior to that, I think you have to give you owe it to yourself, to your fans, to this team to invest in them. That That's where I would lie yeah. on that. And I'm the one that has been saying all year it might be good for them to retool. But if they show you reason not to. You got to listen to that, and, and they're you showing give it. them the opportunity. They're showing it right now. I mean, they're playing like a team that if they go on a little bit of a run, you're you're, you're putting yourself all the way back up in the Western Conference, and you're beating significant opponents. I think Jr. is correct. I want to see this team what it looks like after a break, like we mentioned. Kind of the month of December is my my measuring stick for this team. But yeah, you owe it to the team to go out there and say, let's see what we can do. And I think there's pieces out there that you can add that make you the more dominant team in the Western Conference. Somebody on the six or from the 618 says, guys, Levo is working. Why fix it if it's not broken? You're uh, working with limited cap space as well. Go get that defense uh, depth. No. If that's not available, then sure, grab an upgrade at forward. But defense should be the priority. I disagree. I think, Alex, we're on the same page here. You guys know I've we've been the president of the Josh Levo fan club. What he's doing with Ryan O'Reilly, given what you expected out of Levo, is awesome. Yeah. But last night there were multiple opportunities where Ryan O'Reilly, I think it was him both times, set Levo up for what should have been a grade A opportunity. And if I'm not mistaken, I think Levo missed the net once and shot it like right at the goalie on the other opportunity. Yep. And if you have another player there that is a higher upside top six forward, guy like a Brock Besser, for example, he's putting that in the back of the net. You want 25 goals on that line with Ryan O'Reilly. Yeah. And that's so what you want. That, that's why you look to upgrade there. Now, is it going to look a little different? Could it take some time to get that chemistry going? It's possible. But the upside is what you're shooting for there. And it only benefits you to make a trade like that because, yeah, I know Josh Levo's working, but imagine what a Josh Levo on a fourth line, if you acquire a 25 goal score, and you got a fourth line of Josh Levo, Nolachari, and Alexi Torochenko. Like, that's how you widen the gap. I'm not interested in defense at all because I don't think it's necessary, and I don't think anything you're going to acquire is better than what you have. Because, yeah, like, your bottom your, your bottom pairing defense right now is fine. And Marco Scandella is going to be a seventh defenseman for you, which it's was fine. very good in the postseason against Minnesota last year. If you end up being in a situation where Nick Letty, Colton Pareko, and then Falk and Krug aren't good enough for you, then you're not winning a cup. Absolutely. <laughs> and you're not making it. There's no defenseman available that's going to make you better. Like last season, there were guys out there. This season, Jacob Chikrin's not going to make you better, even if you are able to acquire him. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Better to forget it. Coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Vegas sets them up, and we're here to make the call. It's BK and Ferrario's. Bet it or forget it on 101 ESPN. Six five seven. <laughs> <laughs> what just happened? Bang down! Bang down! Set it the break! Set it the break! What just happened, boys? Oh, 65780 is the air comfort service X line for bet it or forget it. 
You give us this scenario, we will tell you if we're betting it or forget it. Guys, bet it or forget it. The Blues are buyers, not sellers at the trade deadline. Uh, <laughs> did you think we couldn't hear that on the air? Um, <laughs> Got to hit the mic. Yeah. You need to let me know next time you're going to do that. I, I would say... I would say I'm going to forget it because... I think it's going to be difficult to pull a trade off if you're Doug Armstrong. I don't believe he's going to be willing to part with a first round draft pick uh, because the minor league system is too depleted. So I think if they play well, Doug will look at it and say, we'll add an accent piece like they did with Michael Delzato. But if anything, we're going to stand pat. So I'm going to forget this. Somebody on the text line says, BK thought he was making his football picks for that joke. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's too good. Uh, I'm betting it. They're they're gonna be buyers. Rock Besser? Yep. Y'all aboard the Besser train? Doot, doot. The Besser bus. No, there's a panic bus. I gotta bus. start it. It's a panic bus. Mm-mm. We we traded it in. <laughs> did we? Did <Yep>. we? <laughs> I did. Well, you are the fearless leader of the show. Tanner, you buying or you betting it? <laughs> <laughs> All right, we need to we need All to right. shut this bad boy down. I'm I'm gonna forget it. I. I still don't want to buy in too much just yet. I, I think they have a lot to prove still for Army to become a buyer. And we talked about, you know, can they sustain this? If they lose a game, are they going to go back through a five-game losing streak? And also we talked about the penalty kill earlier in the show thinking it's fixed. Well, I can't remember, but they I think they broke the franchise record for most kills to start a season. So, like, I've seen them on the PK perform well, and then it fell way off. So I need to see the PK be sustainable longer, too, and I need to see the power play pick it up just a little bit for me to buy in so i'm gonna forget it for right Plus, now none of these rentals i think are worth it to to spend the money you'd have to get to it like I'd, i if i'm gonna buy into this it looks like a pretty bad trade market right now until unless somebody comes to the forefront and is willing to move pieces like there's always guys that come out and say oh yeah let's move this guy but i just don't know if there's guys with the exception of brock besser that i'm gonna be willing to part with what it would take and i feel makes my team better i mean part of the problem is like Kane and Taves are the two crown jewels that you could potentially acquire. Yeah. And let's be honest, they're not coming here to St. Louis. And you're not going to trade for Bull Horvat because if you are, you're going to try and keep him and you're not going to be able to afford to keep Bull Timo Horvat. Timo Meyer might be a guy that's of interest for the Blues. What's he make? Uh, a lot. Does he make north of six? Uh, I'll have to look at his contract. I, I don't want to give you the wrong. Timo Meyer would be good because, I mean, he's a goal scorer. Six million. He's, he's on a right one-year deal. So he's a Brock Besser. Oh, you got to re-sign him, though. Mm-hmm. What about Tomas Hurdle? Back to cap yeah, friendly. I, I thought we were on cap friendly. Why'd you close out of it so quick? Let's see what this says. <laughs> Tomas Hurdle. Uh, he's at the very beginning of a deal oh, yeah, so that pays him $8.1 million dollars yeah. per year. I'm going to go ahead and go out on a limb and say that's unlikely. I mean, Timo Meyer's great. Timo Meyer's kind of like a Brock Besser with more offensive upside, but again, it's kind of in the Bo Horvat realm. You're going to probably have to pay him 7 or $8 million to keep him, and I don't know if you can afford that. Besser makes a lot of sense. It's just also going to cost you a lot. But he does make a lot of sense. I don't know if it does, though. I don't know if it's going to cost you a lot because Vancouver wants to move him. Now, you're going to probably have to give up a first-round pick, but I don't know if it has to be this year's first-round pick. Would you do like a first in Bolduc, something like that? I, I don't know if that's going to be the cost. I don't but. know if it would, and it might be more, it might be less than that, but I would because you're getting a guy. Here's the thing. like If I'm going to make a trade for somebody, he's got to be a part of my top six for the next few years to keep a Stanley Cup window open. Uh, better to forget it, guys. Jordan Cairo scores more than 35, or excuse me, more than 45 wow. goals this year. Whoa. He's on pace for he's on pace for 41 right now. I'm gonna forget it just because that's I, I know he's on pace for 41. That's a lot. I'm gonna forget it too because 
He's going to have a cold spell at some point. Happened sure. last year where we were talking about, oh, this guy could get 50 goals, and then all he of a sudden post-All-Star. What? He already had his cold spell. Yeah, no, but he has him again. Um, I think he will get there, just like I think Robert Thomas is a 100-point player. But for right now, I'm going to forget this one. That deal's going to end up being a steal, isn't it? Both of them are. Because guys in two years, three years, are going to be commanding $9 million plus if you're a 30-goal scorer. You're going to have two... Think of this. You signed Vladimir Tarasenko at 26 years old to $7.5 million per year, and that was a steal. That's the equivalent of what you just did with Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo. 200-point players that are going to be making a combined $16 million if all things play out correctly. Connor, right now, both of them get to 100 points? Thomas absolutely does. I, I think Cairo can get there. I think, and Cairo spoke on the pregame show yesterday on Bally Sports Midwest and said, like, that's a goal of his, 100-point season. I mean, if he, if him and Ky, or Thomas are on the same line together, this is why I've been kind of pushing that all year long, and they finally are they are going to push each other's points up because both of them create for the other. I mean, we saw this yesterday. And if you put Buchnevich on that line, I think Buchnevich has the potential in that realm too because look at what he did last year, 85 points. When was the last time that a team had three 100-point scores in one season? I'll have to look that up. Probably. can't imagine it's happened often. I mean, the last time the Blues had a 100-point player was Brennan Shanahan, so it goes to show you how long it's been here. 65780 is the error comfort service text line for bet it or forget it. Uh, from the 314. Guys, better to forget it. At least one of Tyler O'Neill or Dylan Carlson will be out of the starting lineup by the All Star break. O'Neill or Carlson, one of those two will not be considered a starter by the All Star break. I'm going to forget this one because I think both know what's at stake right now. A healthy season for Dylan Carlson. I think he's more consistent. I think Tyler O'Neill. And this is probably just me buying it, drinking the Kool-Aid. But I wonder if he has a big year because he knows what's at stake. So I'm uh, I'm going to forget this one. I think I'm going to forget. Man, I think I'm going to forget this one, too, because I can see O'Neal having a bounce back year. Carlson's the one that I'm just not sure because I'm not sure how much I'm buying into injuries were the issue for him. And, but he was good two years. He was decent against right-handed pitching two years ago. So, so I'll, I'll forget. I'll, I'll say healthy year for both of them. They end up bouncing back and maintain their starting job. I think Walker is going to be a starter for you by the All-Star break. So let's put that into account. And then it's basically, I mean, the likelihood is two of Newt Bar, Carlson, and O'Neal are starting in the outfield outside of Walker. So I'm going to go ahead and bet it. I don't know who it's going to be. Right now, if I had to guess, I would think you're starting outfield around the All-Star break. This is my own projection on what's going to happen this season. Newtbar in center, Walker in right, and O'Neal in left. And I think Carlson ends up being your fourth outfielder for the time being. And I think I think Carlson ends up coming back next season and is a starter for you in the outfield. And they let O'Neal walk at that point. I like it. But that, that would be my projection as of today. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we're hitting the BK and Ferrario Rewind. But next, the Cardinals need to find Nolan Gorman's home. Might be at second, might be at DH. Could it be in the outfield? It doesn't really matter to me where it is. They've got to find the spot for him. We'll talk about what John Mozeliak had to say about his rookie second baseman from a year ago. Coming up next, you're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I think what he 
did this past year was very exciting. I think the frustration is a little bit of the swing and miss, not being able to put the ball in play as much as, as maybe we had hoped. But you got to remind yourself he was 21. Um, so we can be patient here. I do think the upside of him is outweighs all the downside at this point. And, and so we're very excited about what we saw last year. We also have to remind ourselves he was a conversion, had to learn a new position at second base. I think he did a tremendous job there, and I think he'll only get better. So I think there's a lot of upside with, with Mr. Gorman, and I think the, the key thing for all of us is a little patience. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was John Mosellock yesterday to KSDK on his thoughts about Nolan Gorman's rookie season. Guys, Nolan Gorman, for all the struggles, and he did strike out 33% of the time, which is not what you want from a rookie, he did finish the season about 7% above league average offensively. He hit 14 home runs in 90 big league games for his professional career last year, had 30 home runs between AAA and in the, in the major leagues. He also, by the way, is just 22 years old. This is still a very young player, left-handed bat with serious pop that can help you offensively. The question really is not so much about, hey, what does Nolan Gorman's upside looks look like? I think we all kind of know what that looks like. It looks like Jock Peterson. He's going to strike out a lot. He's going to take a decent amount of walks. He's going to end up hitting 30-plus home runs, and you live with the strikeouts because of the power that comes along with him being a left-handed bat where he hits against right-handed pitching. But where does he play? He's probably not an everyday second baseman because Brendan Donovan is better than him there. He's probably not an everyday DH because you're probably going to end up having Juan Yepes play a decent amount there. I don't think he's an everyday outfielder because you have like seven other options out there as well. So is this a future possibility where Nolan Gorman becomes for the Cardinals kind of what Max Muncie was at times for the Dodgers early in his career where he plays all over the place? He ends up actually being what Brendan Donovan was last year for the Cardinals. Is that his future home or Alex? If not, where do you think he plays? I don't know. I mean, like Max Muncy was the guy that could play first base, third base. They didn't use him in the outfield very much. Did they? Not that I recall. It was first base, third base, and occasionally second base. And then when the DH comes into play like that makes sense for Nolan Gorman. Um, I, I just feel like his home is the designated hitter spot. But I understand you've got Juan Yepes and Alec Burleson that you're trying to figure out where they play also. But yeah, I could see Max Muncy giving the days off to Paul Goldschmidt when he needs it and giving the days off to Nolan Arenado when he needs it. The question is, do they trust Nolan Gorman to be able to be that versatile player? Because usually the versatile guys are the Brennan Donovans and the Tommy Edmonds, the guys that bring the glove, every different glove to the ballpark every single day. And defensively, you're a little concerned about Nolan Gorman at second base. And I don't think he's got a lot of opportunities at first base. And third base, he hasn't done that since the minors. So do they trust him to be that versatility player? I don't believe so. So that's why I wonder if it's second base and DH for Nolan Gorman. I think they trust the bat. And that's where it comes down to, like, is he passable at these spots? Can he play a passable outfield the way that one Yepes did last year? Yepes was getting, like, a lot of starts in the outfield for this team because the bat played. But sometimes, and those guys in those situations, like, the offense needs to outweigh the defense, but the defense can't be awful. And I'd be concerned that the defense, like, I'd be concerned that the offense isn't consistent enough to outweigh the defense that he's providing. And I I think that's a fair concern. And to your point, I... I still think that his best home right now 
will be the DH spot. And, and I don't think there's a problem with that. I, I know that I, it, it feels like that the Cardinals view that as being kind of lost valuable. If we can't put them in the field, then it's, it's just it's kind concerning. of a, it's a, it's not the asset that we were thinking, but I mean, like the Dodgers, a very analytical driven based team, just signed J.D. Martinez to just be a DH. So, like, you can have guys that are just DH. I, I think where the concern comes Last year, in Robert is— Robert Poulos was pretty valuable for the Cardinals. Exactly. But all it, those guys mentally can handle that. I don't know if a young player—we talked about this with Corey Dickerson. Like, as a player where you're only focused on your offense, if you don't perform, you start to get in your own head. And, and it's not so much uh, that for me. It, it's can they balance being a— DH and then also fo- like if you're Nolan Gorman, can he can he keep the balance of okay I'm working on my offense while also also working on my defense while I'm being moved around the diamond that would be some of my concern with doing that with Nolan Gorman but I I wouldn't mind trying the Max Muncie type thing where it's okay let's see what he looks like here at second we've seen it a little bit let's see it a little bit more okay he's fine there what about first base can he give can he be the guy that gives Paul Goldschmidt a day off what's he look like at his natural position third okay let's try it in the outfield a little bit like that should be stuff that they're experimenting with in spring training I, I'm not that that should be something they're experimenting with in the regular season. That should be the spring training. Nolan Gorman should probably play at every position outside of shortstop and center field and catcher. But other than that, he should be playing at all the other positions in spring training, in my pitcher? opinion. Yeah, sure. I mean, he's third baseman. He's got a cannon. He's on board. He's officially on board. I'm not on board. I, I wouldn't put him in the outfield. But if you're going to do it, I understand. But I it's got to be done in spring training. Agreed. you got like seven guys in front of uh, No, I'm sorry, nine guys in front of him before and, I'd even consider Nolan Gorman in the I outfield. Think part of the problem with this... I, idea of okay we'll just make his home be dh is the fact that you have a lot of guys that probably their home should be dh like juan yepes alec burleson kind of fits that same kind of vibe uh so i i think that's part of the concern for the cardinals is oh well we've got a lot of dh type guys we need to make one of them a defensive player as well and i think that's where they turn to nolan gorman and say okay can we just hide him at second base and, and hides the wrong word but can we make him to what alex was saying is average at second base to where even if he's a little bit below average the bat makes up for it and I, I think that's the conversation that they're having right now yeah and I think that's the right conversation to have John Mosellock continued in this conversation with KSDK he was asked about hey you know there's it feels like your roster is a little deeper this year is it going to be difficult for Ollie Marmol to be able to get Gorman the at-bats that he needs specifically at second base you know Ollie's going to have some stresses trying to figure that out but I do think spring training does matter for some of these younger players. So, you know, you, you don't want to go in and saying this is just a strict competition or a tryout, but to some level, it really is. And trying to set up what we're going to look like for April does matter what we're doing in February and March. I remember talking a couple of years ago, this is right around the beginning of, uh, of the season with Mike Claiborne about the Cardinals situation then with regards to the depth of the roster. Here's what Claibs had to say. You got a question at shortstop. Uh, other than that, you know your bench is kind of so-so. Uh, your starting pitching on the back end is going to raise a question mark after John Gantz. This is a very thin team to start. It's a very thin team. It's where they were in 2021. It's no longer thin. You have a really deep roster. I know people got their question marks about the rotation. It's pretty deep. People have questions about the bullpen. You could put the bullpen together today and you could go play a 162 game season. You might not like the way that it works out, but they've got depth in that bullpen. You've got prospects that could come up by midseason to help you. You look at this offense. How many times have we said, hey, they're throwing numbers at the outfield? They've got like seven different dudes that at some point could give you starts out there. They've got options. The question is, who's going to hit? Who's going to end up getting those opportunities? And this is where it comes back to Nolan Gorman. Man, he has a really big spring ahead of him. 
We've talked a lot about, hey, does do you end up seeing Jordan Walker start opening day with the big league club? One thing we haven't talked a lot about is the possibility of Jordan Walker versus Nolan Gorman as a roster spot competition. The reason I bring that up is because, like, if Nolan Gorman doesn't beat out Brandon Donovan, Donovan's your starting second baseman, and Nolan Gorman can't play in the outfield, and he doesn't beat Juan Yepes as your starting designated hitter, what exactly is his role on this team? It's possible he starts the year again down in AAA. Not the most likely outcome, but it's possible. And in that scenario, if Jordan Walker ends up just mashing the baseball all spring long and hits his way onto the team, it's possible that Jordan Walker takes the spot that we had previously expected to be for Nolan Gorman. So I I am fascinated. This is, to me, the most interesting thing going into spring training is figuring out what exactly the plan is with Nolan Gorman. They decided not to trade him this offseason for a reason. They believe in him. They think that bat will play. They think he can be a 30-home run hitter for them. They're not sure where that's going to be position-wise. They're not sure how many at-bats he's going to get this year because they don't know where he's going to hit. But eventually, they're going to have to figure that out. And that's what spring training should be for this year. I would just at least caution the Cardinals, don't be so quick to try and force a guy into the major leagues because you got you got time with these guys and make it an internal competition. Internal competition always brings the best out of your players, especially the young ones. Make spring training a, if you want a job on this team, go win it. Because don't make this a, well, I was a higher prospect and yep. Jordan Walker deserves to be on this team because he was higher up than Mason Wynn. And what about this? But don't worry about it. You go out and dominate spring training and force us to make that decision. Moises Gomez, same thing, right? We Absolutely. don't talk a whole lot about him. The dude hit like, what, 35 home runs last year down yeah. in AAA? Or but combined between double and yeah. AAA? Mm-hmm. He dominated down there. If he comes up and just dominates again in spring training, man, work your way onto this team. Find a way it, to become that fourth outfielder for the Cardinals. If, what's this, Jason William, Williams? Uh, Justin Williams. Justin Williams can He's be on this, on this team, team? Moises Gomez could make the team coming oh, out of spring training. So there's there are real opportunities here for a lot of these different guys. The competition in spring training is going to be unlike anything we've seen from a Cardinals spring training in, what, like seven years? It's been a while since we've had these real roster battles that are taking place oh, where it's funny. not like, oh, are they going to take that scrub or that scrub? No, this year there's like real players that could end up going down to AAA because the team's just deeper now than it has been in previous seasons. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. We've got something special playing for you guys More along with jokes? the BK and Ferrario Rewind oh coming up next. You're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. It's been a great show today. Wonderful show. If you missed anything from it, Alex, where can they find it? Uh, that would be at 101ESPN.com or on the podcast page uh, at 101ESPN.com or you can get it on the app at 101ESPN or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thanks to our friends at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers for almost, that. Almost Appreciate uh, you getting that read. Almost correct. What are you talking about? I nailed it. Yesterday, I served one of my punishments that I do owe. I think I have two uh, others that I, I am call still BS outstanding on with. I went to Grant's Farm. It was a great time. It was my first time ever going to Grant's Farm, guys. It was a fantastic time. Really? I recommend going there. Uh, for the lights. 
served my punishment of sitting on Santa's lap. I've got the picture of that over at BK Sports Talk on Twitter. So if you want to see me uh, fully embarrassed as I'm sitting on the lap of, I believe, a 60-year-old gentleman Santa uh, named Santa. Um, um, Sarah I, says, dude, why are you always getting punished all the time, BK? Are you that bad? LOL. The answer is yes. I asked people on Twitter if uh, if they believe this is photoshopped and a lot of people say yes it is not it is not photoshopped it is <laughs> someone, very much real someone I said have, this looks like more of a punishment for santa than bk yeah, yeah i was gonna say you couldn't make santa look that way when in i the photos when so. i saw that santa was at grant's farm yesterday i was with uh my in-laws and i looked <laughs> at my wife that, said i'm proud of you i looked at my wife and i said Carrie, I think I need to serve my punishment real quick. She said, no, you're not doing that that's, while I'm here. That's embarrassing. I said, no, I, I really think is I need to do this. that why smile was so big? And she, she <laughs> Keith was like, this is not my She looks to the rest of her family looking for encouragement from them saying, there's no way he can do this, right? And every single one of them said, no, go ahead. That sounds great. I, I would love to see this. So they watched and stared as I sat on Santa's lap. So. Uh, that was good. It's fantastic. What is our next punishment that Tanner will be serving, Alex? So the final result that you voted on Twitter for, as there were three options, Tanner sing karaoke, read a page of Fifty Shades of Grey on air, or go grocery shopping in a hot dog costume. Third place, singing karaoke on the air. Second place was not even close. Read a page of Fifty Shades of Grey on air. So Tanner Hendrickson, get ready to suit up as a hot dog because you are headed over to the grocery store as one hot dog. I'm going to catch up on my grocery shopping. <laughs> Must turd get out there quickly. No. Uh, come on, I thought you'd really appreciate we're that We're doing Trader one. Joe's, Deerberg's, or Schnucks. we no. got to do Schnucks so right down the street, right? Well, we can, but uh, my father-in-law works at a grocery store, and he is begging us to... Uh, come to that one and i think it would be smart it. to go to a grocery store where somebody we know that's a manager uh, because somebody might call the cops on tanner no, grocery shopping great. in a hot dog costume somebody on the text line says bk you've been doing a lot of ridiculous bleep lately what the True. bleep man that's a lot of bleeps and with that in mind we end the day show the only way that we can oh, by singing jokes. you a st louis edition of the 12 days of christmas t-bone hit the open christmas True love gave to me 12 new bar triples, 11 banner shutouts, 10 BK punishments, Wait, what? 9, Nine Hudson starts, no way. 8 20 goal scores, yes. 7 goals for City, 6 degrees on Christmas, God dang it. 5 healthy starters. Top defenseman, three ejections for Ollie, two leadoff hitters, and an L pennant for the Cardinals. Alex is off the next couple of days. He'll be back next week for Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. We will talk to you guys tomorrow at 11 a.m. The fast lane is coming up next here on 101 ESPN. What do you get if Santa goes down the chimney when a fire is lit? A crisp Kringle. (laughs) (laughs) Happy holidays. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band. Next up for lead guitar. You're in. 
cool. <laughs> yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. So I switched to Boost Mobile and got this free Samsung Galaxy A23 5G phone. Why do you think they call it the Galaxy? Maybe because the Samsung Galaxy A23 has a huge screen. And galaxies are huge gravitationally bound systems of stars rotating around a supermassive black hole. And the phone is free? When you switch to Boost Mobile. Cool. You lost me at gravitationally bound. Switch to Boost and get a free Samsung Galaxy A23 5G phone. Boost Mobile. Unleash your power. Limited time offer while supplies last. New customers only. Excludes tax. One device offer per line. Only available on certain networks. 5G not available everywhere. Additional restrictions apply. See your local Boost Mobile store for details.